You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Oh yeah, what's this? I feel this. Oh yeah, this is stuff. Oh no. Oh, no, no, no. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. Welcome back to the Van Flip, everyone. Uh, this is your host, Lurk, aka Dave. I'm sitting here with Jamie King. Uh, he is most known for uh, the basement recording studio in Winston Salem, Florida. I'm sorry, not Florida, <laughs> North Carolina. I'm in Florida. Uh, however, he also was in the band Swift, and we'll get into that as well. Um, so how are you doing today, Jamie? Doing good, man. Doing good. I'm so glad you could make it. Yeah, it's a nice warm day today, so I'm stuck well, inside. I, I actually <laughs> have the heat. I actually have the heater on a little bit. It's a little. Uh... <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it was. It was actually snowing last yesterday, literally, and then now we have oh, wow. a warm front. And it's like 75 degrees. So interesting yeah, little, time here in North Carolina. It's a little underneath 70 degrees right now for us, so it's a little freezing down here in Florida. <laughs> yeah, that's freezing, all right. <laughs> yeah, so I have to have the heater on a little bit. But um, yeah, so this podcast all came around uh, because, you know, we were, we started doing the Lamb Goat podcast, and um, I, for some reason, was looking for your band, Swift, on this, the streaming services like uh, Spotify and such like that. I had all your albums when I was a kid because I was a big fan, and I would come see you guys in North Carolina even though I lived here. Um, but, yeah, I reached out to your band's Facebook. I wrote a message like, hey, where can I get the uh, CDs because I can't find them. I was going to buy them again because you know, CDs to me sound better in my car than streaming the music. So Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and you just hit me back, or the, the, the Facebook, Swift Facebook hit me back, and then when I – you sent some CDs in the mail to me for free of charge, which I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, when your your return address said your name on it, I was like, holy shit. So I decided to hit you up about the podcast, and I'm glad you were into it. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm definitely honored to to, uh, to be here or whatever, um, to be a part of the podcast. But, yeah, the uh, you know, it's it's cool. You know, it's, I always try to hook up everybody with, you know, the Swift stuff. You know, a lot of people don't want, uh, you know, CDs these days. And, uh, you know, we have a few left. And, uh, you know, any of the any of the fans, you know, if they want the, the, the product. And I know a lot of people who, uh, who are asking for CDs these days, they used to have them and have lost them or have damaged them or something like that. So, you know, I try to uh, try to hook people up, you know. Yeah, that's really cool. 
Well, I greatly appreciate it. I, that was a big surprise, and uh, I greatly appreciate being able to tell you thank you face-to-face, kind of. So that's great. <laughs> I appreciate you still being interested to listen to Swift. It's, uh, uh, it's, a lot of, actually, a lot of my friends are, too, but we'll get, we'll get into Swift later on. So I just wanted to kind of <laughs> knock that out right away because, you know, it would be weird to thank you later on. But um, So back to you, know, you and what you do regularly for your quote-unquote day job. Um, you um, are an engineer, producer, recorder, mixer, master uh, guy at the Basement Studios, correct? That's correct, yep. And um, what is the Basement Studios for anyone who doesn't know? Well, the basement is, is basically just in reference to my, uh, you know, my project studio here in my basement. You know, it's uh, basically just the basement of my house. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have basements in uh, Florida that often. <laughs> uh, we don't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that would be a good idea. But uh, here in North Carolina, we do. I started out in my parents' basement, and then uh, when I bought my house, I just uh, set the studio up uh, in my uh, basement, and uh, you know, it's just I've been carrying carrying the theme forward you know it's just a project space and it keeps the overhead low it keeps the uh uh you know everything affordable so that you know a lot of the clients yeah, i have are uh you know up-and-coming artists or just uh, you know a hobbyist and things of that nature so uh you know to keep the price down is uh essential you know and and luckily nowadays you don't need a lot of stuff uh to do uh you know uh, rock and metal production you know uh, properly, you know, so you, mm-hmm. don't need, you don't need the whole large format studio like you know. At one time, uh, uh, you used to need uh, for to do that style of production, but uh, but yeah, a lot of people would have you believe that you would need it, but you know, uh, of course, uh, many of us know that you don't. So, uh, yeah, it's convenient. I can just walk downstairs and be at work. You know, it's got its upsides and downsides. Obviously, I'm I'm never away from work, so that's a, could be a negative for my. Uh, stress anxiety disorder but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that a little later probably but uh, uh but yeah that's uh basically what the basement's all about you know mainly uh you know more of my work these days is is, is going toward uh you know mixing and mastering because more and more people are able to record themselves and uh, there's so many people who have gotten into the game of you know of, uh, recording and audio production you know almost everyone you know all bands or artists can find someone local to them um to uh to, to record the record, you know, so they don't have to travel right. here. Um, so more of my work is, you know, is, uh, is becoming, uh, mixing and mastering. So there's less emphasis on the basement recording and more emphasis on, you know, Jamie King audio productions. Uh, Tommy, uh, BT Bam is my manager and he's going to help me put together a new website and, uh, and everything. And it'll be, uh, you know, Jamie King com. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, so that'll be a little more, you know, more people know that, you know, my name through Between the Barrier and Me and some of the other bigger bands I've recorded and uh, uh, then then know the basement recording studios. You know, I don't really have a uh, magnificent facility or anything like that. So uh, (laughs) it's got it's got it's got some gear and it's, uh, you know, it's at home. It's comfy. So, well, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot more people know about it than you probably think. I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, so in my research, I saw that you were getting credits as far back as 1986. Is that? Um... I think that's incorrect. Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, the uh, I think the you know the first recordings that I had done are probably 1996. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a, a Jamie King choreographer or something like that. Um, okay, it's a female choreographer that worked with Madonna and all kinds of crazy. Huge artist, so it's like it's funny that it has me listed as recording Madonna and stuff. So, you know, I've been just kind of rolling with it. I'll take that. You know, it's a uh, it's good, uh, good. You know, it's uh, a good little uh, good rumor. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that actually 
probably catches one of the questions I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you how you got director slash stage director credits uh, with Madonna for the Madonna tour, but now that answers that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun one. Um, So did you, how did it all start out? Like you said like mid nineties, early nineties or whatever. So how, how did it start out? Just you owning a studio or recording in general, really? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, in the early nineties, I was in high school. Um, I graduated in 95 and, uh, you know, throughout my high school years, my band had recorded at various, uh, uh, recording studios, you know, and at that time, all the studios that were local were really expensive and, um, you know, usually, you know, and because of that, they were owned by older guys who were into more, um, country or, um, you know, beach music, things of that nature. So they didn't really understand the style, uh, and the sounds that we were going for. So, you know, um, you know, I just, uh, we, every time I would record, you know, record some more with my band, I would just be disappointed with, uh, the way things are sounding, you know, they didn't sound the way I wanted them to, or, you know, basically we just wanted to sound like our favorite bands, which at the time were like Pantera and, you know, uh, Metallica and stuff like that, big punchy kick drums, crunchy guitars, things of that nature. And, uh, uh, you know, all the studios, they wanted to give us this big pillowy kick drum, you know, of country music or, you know, beach music or whatever. And that just, uh, didn't, didn't set, you know, didn't fly with me. And I, I, I know, um, and I've told this story many times, but I've recorded the last place I recorded with my band or with one of my bands was a place called white room studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they're fantastic facility. It's a multimillion dollar facility. And, a uh, huge name artist had recorded there and things like that. But we, uh, we went in, you know, for, um, uh, we went in for a, uh, uh, to record a record and, you know, we ended up with, you know, 13 grand into the record. And, uh, it just, yeah. And uh, the record that, that we ended up putting out was another record that we recorded in a guy's basement, you know, um, uh, in, um, uh, here, here in, you know, in North Carolina. So it was like, uh, Northern North Carolina. So it was, you know, uh, to me, it was an eye-opening situation. It was like, it's not the gear, you know, because the White Room Studio place had the gear. It's just the engineer, you know. Uh, and I knew what I wanted things to sound like. And, you know, that was, you know, I, we couldn't afford to pay any more than $90 an hour, you know. Uh, so so I was like, I mean, you know, like my best bet is just to learn how to do this stuff myself. And uh, so that's uh, that's what I did. I just... Uh, um, I just uh, bought some, you know, instead of spending money recording elsewhere, I just saved up money and bought uh, some ADATs, which were uh, popular recording, uh, uh, was a popular popular recording equipment at the time. It was digital tape drive, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but, yeah, there's digital tapes. So, so uh, I bought those to start, and uh, I started recording my band, and, um, you know, I just, uh, uh, it's it's gone from there. I think the first BT BAM may have been recorded on uh the ADATs, and I know the first Swift records were recorded on ADAT. You know, it was just the ADAT and a mixing board and a you know a few outboard EQs and compressors and reverb units. You know, all the cheapest stuff that was available. You know, all Elise's uh, cheap Elise's gear at the time, and uh, you know it was it was listenable for the time. And I think uh, you know that's what started my career. Is that you know other local bands you know uh, noticed that I was getting this type of sounds that they wanted. Uh, for their records, which was the punchy kick drums and the big crunchy guitars and things, and uh, and uh, so they started asking me to record them, and uh, you know it's it's been rolling ever since, you know, kind of the yeah, same. That's, that's really cool. Um, was did you just start out with a four track, or was there more to it than uh, when you when you first started getting into recording? Not yeah. just when you were recording with other bands, but like yourself and other your yeah. other bands that you had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the first, uh, uh, yeah, I had a Yamaha four track uh, that I had bought in probably '92 or '93 or something like that, and uh, that's what we used to use to record band practice. And I actually used to, uh, 
you know, we had a, a PA that we would use for live. So we had a, you know, a 16 channel channel mixer. We'd mic the whole band up, you know, at band practice. And basically we would record the band live and then over to vocals on these four tracks. So, you know, and the guitar solos and stuff like that. And I actually was able to get pretty listenable sounds. Uh, you know, uh, I kind of felt like I had a knack for it or whatever, um, you know, starting out on four tracks. So, um, uh, and I actually had some people ha- actually who, offered me money to record them on four track even you know it's like a, you know the digital stuff you know recording was expensive back in the day all the gear you know I the adats were five grand a piece you know it's only eight tracks and you had to have three to do you know a regular you know multi-track recording you know i had 15 grand and you know three adats you know wow. for first started you know that's the first professional recording equipment you know you know, outside that, you were looking at, you know, the, you know, four tracks are like 500 bucks and, uh, you know, the quality just wasn't professional with the four tracks. So, uh, yeah. it was, you know, it was, like I said, it was kind of cost prohibited, you know, at that time. Uh, uh, but then obviously, you know, with Pro Tools, you know, my first Pro Tools rig was an 888 uh, TDM system, which was cream and white computer. Uh, you know, it was like the old, I remember the system hard drive was like 400 megs or something like that. You, you <laughs> yeah. could even put a CD on the system hard drive, but uh, yeah. all you could do was basic editing and things like that. And, uh, um, but yeah, as time went on, I remember they, you know, Digi designer, you know, Avid released the Digio one and I started getting into the, uh, the pro tool stuff more. So, and, uh, I think that's, uh, that was the beginning of what made it easier for people to, uh, have the tools that they needed for professional recording, you know? Uh, yeah, that's cool. So, uh, yeah. What all what all got you into just being, you know, into the engineering process and recording, you know, other bands outside of your own? I mean, you said you you yourself taught for the most part, you said? Yeah, actually, um yeah, I, I did also did um like I said I was in my band, and I did live sound. I had enough uh, PA equipment to do live sound. And I would go uh and do live sound, you know, at a local venue uh quite often, and that's where I met the between the Bear to me guys, you know, they were they were actually in a band called Prayer for Cleansing, some of those guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the other guys were, you know, other bands. Uh, Glass Casket. Glass Casket, which used to be called Narian. And so there's other, you know, cup, you know variations of that, those groups or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I used to do sound for all those guys. And like I said, they would hear the Swift record. At that time, you know, Swift had, you know, we, I had just put together Swift. And uh, we really promoted really heavily. And we were doing what was, you know, uh, kind of commercially popular at the time, you know, or up and coming and, you know, with the uh, melodic new metal thing. And, uh, you know, we kind of tapped into that wave and, uh, we got pretty big, pretty fast. So a lot of people got to hear the record. I remember we, we put out at least 3000 promo cassettes. So we just kind of flooded the area with promotional material. And back then people would actually like, if you gave them something for free, they would like be, wow, let me check it out. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not like today where it's valueless and people just throw it away. You know, then people, <laughs> Then people would actually like, you know, check it out. And, uh, you know, um, so a lot of the bands were checking it out. And it's, you know, and I worked at a music store as well uh, towards like 98, 99. Um, and, uh, you know, I talked to musicians there and they would hear my record and they'd be like, hey, who recorded this? This sounds good. And, and uh, I would tell them I did. And then we found out how cheap and that I did it in my basement and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll do that too. And, yeah, um, you know that's kind of how it snowballed, and you know, you know, most of my uh, business to this day has been people hear it, they like the sound, they find out it's affordable, and then you know that's that's kind of how it's been rolling, you know, ever since. Well, for anyone listening, it's affordable. If you're watching, it's very affordable. If you want to <laughs> make a trip to Winston Salem, I'm sure Jamie will hook you up. Absolutely. Um, 
for the benefit of our average listener, uh, could you explain the difference between an engineer and a producer or engineering and producing? Yeah, there's a, well, you know, obviously different styles of music. There's almost a different definition. Uh, but traditionally, a producer is somebody who, um, who gets into the material and who actually helps, uh, you know, helps the band, uh, you know, you know, not only capture the best tones and takes and stuff in the studio, but a lot of times a traditional producer will get into the material and, you know, especially, you know, if you have a record label or something that's wanting, wanting a marketable product for a specific demographic, the producer's there to kind of help shape the band's ideas and their uh, material into, into that, you know, product that's ultimately maximally marketable, you know. In metal and progressive music, I think that, uh, you know, that kind of production's less needed or less... Uh, you know, less done, whatever, for Agreed. lack of a better term. Um, a lot of the bands, you know, especially like between the Barry and me, I mean, they, you know, they have their record completely written before they come into studio. Actually, they've recorded it once before coming in. And my job as a producer is just to, uh, you know, it's largely just as an engineer um, to just, uh, you know, ca- help capture the tones and takes that they're wanting to get for the record. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, in terms of production, I might throw out an idea on a harmony or, uh, you know, a, la- a texture layer or something like that or whatever, but it's, it's definitely nothing super in depth of, with uh, those guys. And, um, you know, but my, you know, my main job is just, you know, like I said, just to make sure uh, that we're getting the best sounds and or the sounds that they want, uh, the takes that they want and need. And, uh, um, you know, sometimes it just uh, takes a lot of patience and, you know, the you yeah. know, right motivation is, you know, um, and I've talked about it here recently in other podcasts, but there's a lot of psychology involved. You know, it's about creating the right, uh, you know, environment and, uh, you know, uh, having the right attitude with the right individual to, to, to get the best tones or get the best takes out of them and things like that. So there's a psychology uh, aspect involved in, in production that, you know, if you're just an engineer, you're not going to be engaged in any of that kind of stuff. So uh, my, you know, my role definitely is, uh, you know, full engineer, full production um type of thing with uh, most of the, the bands that i work with um, in terms of recording here uh, obviously when i'm doing mixing and mastering i don't have any production say uh, you know almost other than you know maybe an eq or an effect or something like that here <laughs> yeah. and there you know the, like the material's already captured and um you know the tones are already there you know oftentimes so uh, there's not as much uh, production i can lend to that type of stuff but um but yeah i mean it's uh it's pretty you know, as an engineer, basically you're just doing the technical stuff. You're working all the, you know, the computer, the, the outboard uh, electrical equipment, and setting up mics and things like that. And uh, you know, there's definitely uh, work to be done in that with all records or whatever. But uh, you know, with the produ- producer role, it's uh, you know, it just depends on the artist, the style of music. Uh, you know, somebody like uh, you know Timberland or you know something hip hop and things like that. They're really their role as a producer is a lot. A lot of times they don't really do much of the engineering. They mainly are there to help the the artists get, uh, you know, to help write the artist's song. Really, you know, to right. help, help them find the hot beats or the hot, you know, whatever's uh, trendy and marketable and things like that. And that's their their job in yeah. that genre. The producer name also gets borrowed by people who make their own music, whether like like Tommy uh, from Between the Bear and Me has a solo kind of electronic project that he would be considered a producer of his Absolutely. own music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, it it's seldom talked about the mastering process, but 
it's pretty important. What all goes into mastering since you said you were recently doing more mixing and mastering in general? Yeah, mastering is just kind of the uh, the finalization of uh, of the product. Um, you know, a lot of people who can do mixing could also do mastering. Um, I think it's become, you know, back in the day it was a necessity for almost for people to get their record mastered because a lot of the, you know, the – the uh, recording and mixing facilities, they didn't have the gear, the specialized gear for mastering and to, to create a glass master and all that stuff for CD duplication early on. And then, you know, the tape machines to make the, uh, the, 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 the real to real masters that were going on before that. But nowadays there's less of a, you know, there's some specific uh, outboard hardware that's nice to have. And there's a lot of uh, software um, that's specific to mastering, and mastering just is mainly dealing with the final mixed two-track files. You know, um, usually, um, you know, you're just basically standardizing. Your job is to standardize the level, standardize the EQ, uh, and it makes sure the record translates consistently uh, from system to system, that kind of thing. And you know, and just you know, just a, another. Just the final polish on the record. It's almost like you know you've you've built and you painted your car. Now you got to put the clear coat on it, and that's what mastering mm-hmm. is, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, uh, like I said, there's some expensive gear that really does it. I use you know some industry standard stuff like you know the Manly Massive Passive and the Very Mu compressor, and just just you know there's you know ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars worth of processing. But there's just something about those units, you know, they're. Uh, you know, classic uh, designs, you know, built uh, modern and you know, clean from, you know, modern production, but they really, uh, they just add a sheen, a nice uh, glossy sheen over the whole thing. And, uh, uh, you know, that's it's something that a lot of the plugins kind of approximate, but they just can't nail. So that's why a lot of people, you know, it doesn't make sense for most individuals who are recording themselves at home to have $15,000 in mastering gear. So, uh, you know, a lot of people. Hard to come just, by. Yeah, exactly. I mean, unless they're just loaded, you know, which there are people out there who are, you know. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, plus you're, you know, you're you're looking for the, uh, you know, a mastering engineer, you know, such as myself. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years, so it's like you, uh, there's an experience thing that's kind of helps and is necessary, uh, I think, uh, oftentimes to maximize, the, you know, the overall EQ and the dynamics of the record and things like that, you know, having it loud and, in, you know, in your face and, you know, preserve the dynamics, but having it... Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, but not taken away from the the sound or having it really distorted or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's a lot of these online site uh, online services uh, they can do basic type of stuff. You know, but it's like they're you know they don't have that. You know, they they can't give you any feedback like, hey, can you turn the snare up so that you know. Because uh, when I hit it with my mastering compressor, it's pushing that snare drum down. You know, a, mm-hmm. a website's not going to do that. A lot of people, uh, you know, when you master records yourselves or, you know, the mix engineer masters a record, a lot of times, uh, you know, it's hard to hear the record. Um, uh, I guess, you know, it, it's a good idea to at least take a break from it or send it to somebody else to get that, you know, outside uh, opinion on the uh, the overall EQ and their overall levels and stuff like that, it, it'll, it'll kind of, you know, an, another ear or at least a break can help you identify problems and things of that nature. So uh, that you that whoever mixed it or when you did mix it yourself uh, that you didn't notice then. So Yeah. One of the most annoying things that I find uh, whenever I do mixing and mastering of like my own music is uh, I just get very tedious with it because you don't want it to be perfect kind of thing. And yep. 
then I start second guessing, do I have an ear? <laughs> do I have a proper ear for any of this stuff? Oh, yeah. So, yep. so uh, was it easy for you to learn? Because you said like you're kind of self-taught. Is it easy for you, or not for you, but for anyone to kind of just pick this up without going to school, per se, for like uh, for recording or mastering or anything like that? Um, do you need an ear technically for that kind of thing, or is it something that you kind of learn along the way? I think, obviously, you know, I think, you know, honestly, I believe, you know, that I was kind of born for it, you know, it was like a, you know, I had, um, you know, naturally musical, you know, I can hear pitch, you know, I can hear, you know, I can, uh, you know, I've got a sense of rhythm and things of that nature. You know, there's some people who get into the, you know, they try to do music or, you know, engineering, who, if you can't hear pitch and you don't have a good sense of rhythm, you're going to, it's, it's going to be difficult for you, you know. It's uh, just like it's going to be difficult for me to run a, a 10k marathon. It's just I'm not built for it, you know. It's uh, uh it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough. So, you know, I think us both, us both. Yeah, I just, you know, obviously, I think there's it, there's definitely a learning curve involved with this. You know, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of science involved. You know, with the the equipment, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like I said, it's all the all the musical element of it. You know, and uh, there's like I said, there's psychology dealing with other people. You know, there's a lot of facets to it and uh, you know you kind of have to be good at all of it to be successful i think you know at, at the end of the day and uh um but yeah i think um you know i think personally i i feel like i, I just kind of fell into it naturally like even more so you know i always wanted to be a drummer in a band but you know i kind of been you know when i started recording i was like man i kind of enjoy this more than being a drummer and then especially when I found out I could make a living more easily right. doing, doing this stuff, you know, than playing drums. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm kind of a homebody and I think, you know, touring might be fun for two or three months, but then after that, I just want to be home, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, it's like, you know, you know, when you're in a band, I mean, you're pretty much to make a living, you know, you have to be on the road quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I just, yeah, I think anybody coming into this, I mean, I think, you know, um, if you feel like you're musical, you know, if you feel like you have a knack for understanding, uh, you know, computer software, uh, hardware, stuff like that, you know, uh, just kind of do the checklist, you know, with everything that's involved. And I think this for any other style of me, you know, uh, or any other career in general, you know, it's like, a, you know, we've, we've all been raised, oh, you can do anything you put your mind through to. And, you know, there's probably some truth to that to a degree, but it's like, if you just, you know, it's going to be a lot easier on you and you have a lot more chances of success if you do what comes naturally to you. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, you pursue something that you're you just have a natural proclivity toward, you know, like, right. I feel like that's what I did. And it's, it definitely didn't come easy to me when, when I started doing this, uh, you know, we didn't have the YouTube and all that stuff with all the, the insider secrets and stuff and literally things like reamping and, uh, you know, all these, uh, you know, common knowledge, you know, uh, you know, like drum quantizing and vocal tuning, all this stuff's all, you know, it's commonly known that this stuff is done now. When I, w when I was starting out, you know, it was like in the infancy of a lot of these, uh, you know, higher level production stuffs, and I didn't know it existed. You know, I didn't know people were tuning vocals. <laughs> I didn't know people were quantizing drums and guitars and things and uh, uh, reamping guitars, you know, and things of that nature. And it's like, those were guarded secrets when I was getting started. You know, you couldn't, you know, I remember I was going to go to Appalachian State, and, uh, and you know, I heard some of the, you know, the instructor, I heard some of his material. I'm like, man, I'm better than you are right now. It's like, <laughs> what am I going to learn from you? You know, it's like, right. this is, so I got my associate's degree at a local community college, and uh, and instead of going, 
you know, going to get my bachelor's degree in audio engineering at the school, I just decided I'm just going to buy the gear and figure this out because the stuff, I'm not going to learn anything other than what's in books from these people, and I can learn that now. So right. it, it was difficult for me in that regard. I think uh, if I had the inform- information readily available, I could have learned it a lot quicker uh, because I felt like I had the natural knack for it. Uh, but a, I, you know, at that time it was difficult and expensive to attain the proper gear. I was using budget gear that didn't yield the sounds that I needed and things like that. And, um, you know, I, the information wasn't there. So it took me 10 years what people can learn in, in one or two these days, you know, yeah. uh, nowadays you can buy, you know, a couple thousand dollars in, in your computer and plugins and a few microphones and you can get the better quality product than I was capable of getting with, you know, fifty thousand dollars a year back in nineteen ninety eight or whatever. So it's uh, um, it's definitely a good time uh, if you want to get into uh, the thing in terms of like learning it. But having said that, it's also a bad time because there's a lot less money to be made uh, because a lot, a lot more people. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of competition, you know, and uh, and there's less money being made in the music industry in general. You know, back when I was starting, if you're a good audio engineer, you're going to be making six figures, no problem. And now that's just uh, it's possible but tough. You know, it's a uh, um, tough to, to get to that point and keep it rolling. You know, it's, uh, um, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I was, I feel like I'm, I was lucky. I got in on at the beginning of it and, you know, I've kind of ridden the top of the wave luckily from, for, uh, you know, all these, you know, this past 20 years and I haven't had to promote and advertise, but a lot of the kids trying to get started, there's kids who I think are just as good, if not better than I am, that can't get enough work to stay. They have to go get a job just cause, Mm-hmm. You know they they haven't re- they haven't gotten lucky and they haven't recorded the band that sold a lot of records and that's influential and what 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 have you. So it's uh, you know definitely not one of those things. It's uh, I would say it's it's less difficult to learn and get good at the stuff than it is to actually make a living doing this now. <laughs> I think that's the difficult element. You know, unfortunately. Well, I mean, it it should be kind of difficult to make a living off of it too. But I mean, yeah, it. it it definitely is a is a hustle, as they say. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say that's that's why you have to be you have you have to be the the complete package. You have to have it all. You have to know the psychology. You have to know the the music. You have to know, uh, you know everything. Even the business element. You have to. You know, I'm trying. I'm still trying to learn. And you know, Tommy's you know helping me or whatever in terms of like you know just I'm a people pleaser. I let people walk all over me and things like that. You know. I, you know, constantly do deals when I really can't afford to and, uh, you know, and give up all my free time. You know, I have no free time, you know, I end up recording 70 hours a week usually. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's bad business is bad for me and my health, you know, and things like that. And, uh, uh, so I'm still learning today, you know, it's like, uh, but it's, uh, but hopefully I can, you know, reel it in and, and, you know, and, and keep this going and not end up being hospitalized or something like that, you know. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. But it's, uh, you know, for everybody, it's difficult. You got to be the complete package, man. You got to, you got to have it all together. Yeah, talent, it. talent can't float you the entire way, unfortunately, these days. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Um, you, you were saying it took you quite a, quite a while to learn some, you know, trade secrets or just kind of common knowledge because you didn't really technically have like a book telling you what to do. Uh, but how do you still, you do you still like learn things on like YouTube or, or anything like that? Do you, do you seek out information because it's so readily available or do you just have, um, people that you kind of refer to as in the industry that you can maybe bounce ideas off of or, or trade secrets with? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All of that. You know, I still like I'll watch, uh, you know, um, I'll watch other, uh, you know, engineers that I respect. Uh, I'll watch their, uh, you know, tutorials and things like I've, uh, you know, the Unstoppable Recording Machine, the URM.com. They had me do a, uh, you know, uh, uh, a mix uh, class with the contortionist. And, uh, you know, it's cool. It's like, a, you know, it's awesome that, you know that I got to share my information, but it's actually extra cool that I've got a pass where I can get in and watch all my other friends, Joey Sturgis and all these other people, you know, and see, uh, you know, see how they're getting their sounds and, uh, things. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've, you know, I try to, you know, a lot of my early learning was trial and error. I just figured it out the hard way. Uh, you know, especially in terms of EQ and gear and things like that. You know, like I said, there's, I bought some books and read some books and things and they kind of, they went over broad things but at the time you know metal wasn't taught in those books you know i wanted to, to learn how to get the metal guitar and drum tones and things of that nature and the more extreme styles of music and none of that was uh you know being taught in the books or schools and stuff um so but you know uh so a lot of learning that was trial and error but you know nowadays you can learn any like those styles and any others you know almost there's more information about those styles online than there is any other styles you know at this point yeah um uh, so it's, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I try to, I try to learn anywhere and everywhere I can. I still feel like I'm st- still figuring some things out, you know, with every success, it's almost like it. Okay. I know what I'm doing now this, but now it's like, now I can focus on something that I've been kind of not even noticing that I needed work on, you know, uh, because I finally achieved what I wanted to achieve with this sound or whatever, you know, with like the snare drum or, uh, now let me go back to the toms and it's just, it never ends, you know, it's like. You know, it's there are some people I think who can learn this stuff and they master it in like a couple years, and it's maddening to me because it's like <laughs> I've been working for twenty years and I still don't feel like I'm where I want to be with stuff. And uh, yeah, um, but it's uh, but it's funny because those people who are mastering it, if it comes easy to them, they get bored and they just don't want to do it. They want to do something else. Yeah, they move on. Yeah, it's crazy. They're like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's not fun to me. It's like, dude, I've been trying to do what you can do. You know, it's, but it's like guitar players, you know, like you're like practicing all your sweeps and you go online and there's some uh, 13-year-old girl who can shred your face off. You right. Know? And it's just so, it's like, what? And then it's like, I've been trying all my life to do that. And it's, you know, some people who are just born better, you know, at certain things. But that person. But as long as you re- realize that and not get hard on yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah, because exactly. There are naturally talented people out there, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, if you feel like you're doing good, I mean, obviously I'm making a living doing what I'm doing, so obviously I'm doing something right and, uh. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's not just about how good things sound and things like that. There's, like I said, there's other elements to it. There's price. There's, you know, Hey, is this guy cool? Can we work with him? You know, what's his ideas, how they're going to work with our you know, music and things of that nature. So there's all those elements too, you know, then it's, uh, so it's not just one element, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know. Well, that's cool. Um, some audio files insist on recording on a two inch tape as opposed to digital. What are your thoughts on that? I love the sound of tape outside of the uh, tape hiss. I hate tape hiss. You know, I think that's ridiculous. Like, to me, it's ridiculous to record on tape when you can get pretty much the exact same sound with tape emulators. You know, actually, I use the uh, the Empirical Labs Fatso. Uh, you know, and it kind of uh, emulates what uh, you know what happens to tape EQ and uh, compression and saturation wise, like a you know the harmonic distortions that are added to the uh, to the signal, uh, but it doesn't have the tape hiss. So I'm like. To me, it's like that's better. You know, it's you get the the positive sounds of tape, um, 
without the negative things of tape. You know, obviously tape is expensive. You can only record 15 minutes of audio on tape, um, you know, uh, things of that nature. So, uh, in my opinion, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of, I'm just, I just say let tape die. <laughs> like <laughs> Time people, to move on, huh? Yeah, people would be like, you're crazy. But, I mean, it's just, you know, there's a there's a certain um, nostalgia to it. You know, sometimes, you know, like I have a plug-in that emulates tape, and you can add the tape piss to it. And I have I actually do have a, a one-inch tape machine that if somebody wants that analog, legit, like, tape hiss with a little bit of woe and flutter and things like that, I can do that for them. Uh, you know, and I have a, you know, uh, I've worked out of studios that do have tape, and I've had a few clients say, hey, let's track the drums and bass to tape. And I'm like, cool, we'll do it, you know, if that's what you want to do. Because at the end of the day, it's whoever's paying is the boss, in my opinion. So if they want that right. sound, that's fine. Uh, but I've had scenarios where, I, you know, I've recorded tape, and I'm like, man, I wish we didn't record tape because that tape hiss is bothering me in this really quiet section. You know, it's just like taking over the mix, and it's like, uh, you know, there's – noise re- reduction plugins and things like that out there but it's like man if we just recorded digital this wouldn't be a problem you know it's just uh, <laughs> a lot easier yeah if, if you use tape i say record digital also or record digital first and then put it to tape because it's going to sound the same and you're going to have that uh, the clean digital version to fall back on um yeah you know. it's insane the the plugins and the programs and the algorithms and all that stuff how that works out nowadays yeah. it's come very far Oh yeah, I mean they they've gotten a lot of stuff really close, and some stuff is really close, and if and if not even better, they've taken the all the positive attributes of tape, for instance, and and like I said, they've improved on them. Now you can get that those sounds with with no uh, uh, none of the tape hiss and none of the woe and flutter, you know, that you don't want, that you never wanted. I mean, like I said, if, if the people, you know, they're like, well, the Beatles record on this and that and blah blah blah, and I'm like, if the Beatles would have had options, like, hey, do you want to record this tape that's noisy and pitch weirdly? tape or whatever or do you record digital which one do you want to do they would have chosen digital i guarantee you you know and that's, like and that's not why those songs are so good people are like oh it's the sound i mean kind of maybe probably not you know it's like it's the song you know what i'm saying they could have you know you can get stuff to sound almost exactly the same on tape on digital then it's you know with with tape you know it's like a, you know a good engineer could do it and it would be not even distinguishable so right i don't, I don't Sidebar on you brought up the Beatles, and I constantly have this kind of discussion with people about the Beatles. Uh, do you think that the Beatles were huge because there was only three television stations and one radio station, possibly, or do you think they're that good? Because I just feel like I grew up in the age of the internet. That's how yeah. I found out about your band. That's how I found out about a lot of other bands. So as a kid, I never really got into the Beatles because to me. It was just simpler music to you know yeah. in general, but uh, it also was like the birth of pop music and all this that and the other. So I give it its credit when it's due, but I think that if people had a choice, they might not have chosen the Beatles if they had a plethora of options, though. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a, an element to it there at the right place, at the right time. You know, at that time, is you know, recording was insanely expensive, and uh, basically the the labels like you know they the best of the best only you know, they only did deals with the best of the best. There were a lot of artists or whatever that just couldn't get a record deal and couldn't, could never record anything. And they're lost to history. And, uh, and they may have, there may have been some songwriters and things that are better, you know, that were better than the Beatles. Who knows, you know? Um, but I think, you know, because the Beatles were, you know, I, I, to me, I love the Beatles. You know, I think, uh, you know, the, the melodies and stuff that they've written are timeless. You know, it's not, you know, the musical ex, you know, executions, not, you know, incredible to me, you know, it was okay. 
Um, but it was it was the melodies, you know. I'm like, how do you come up with this um, a melody? You know, and, and all their stuff was so variant, you know, like from from their beginning to the end, you know, it was just like they constantly changed and had so many hits. And it was just like, to me, that's what's amazing. How do you come up with something fresh and new, but also timeless? And it, you know, almost everybody likes, you know, like, how do you do that? It's like, you know, there's so many bands out there, you know, these days, it's like there's so much clutter that, that are good musicians, so way better than the Beatles ever thought about being, you know, right. in terms of musicians, but they can't write anything that's catchy, that sticks, and that stands out. But Beatles did it constantly throughout the whole existence of the bands. Like, that's what blows my mind, you know, it's like, uh, and, you know, like I said, the, they had a lot of resources, they had all the resources that, that existed at the time, you know, like uh, in terms of producers, the best gear, the best environment, you know, um, you know, so all that was behind them, the, you know, infinite amounts of money and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe that's part of why they were able to do that. You know, uh, I think a lot, you know, a lot of artists would be able to write better music if they didn't have to work and they had the best of everything <laughs> and infinite amounts of money behind them. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of unfair to compare, but, uh, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, there's an element to there. Maybe there could have been somebody better, but uh, right place, right time is a good way to describe it. I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely played a role. You know, they were just uh, that doesn't necessarily degrade them in any way. I I don't want to degrade them in any way. I should say, but uh, you know, they get credit where credits due. They get respect when respect is due. So yep. I just think that also, if there were more options, they might not have been so giant. But okay, back 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 on track here uh how long how long were you doing recordings for other people before you decided to open your own basement studio it just kind of became an um a, well you know honestly the uh the, the i was working in a music store up until 2001 um is when he decided to close the store um the the owner uh, decided to close the store so and by that at that time i was still i was playing with the band swift you know and uh, we were negotiating a contract with MCA uh, in 2001, and so, you know, basically, but I needed something to pay, you know, to pay some bills and just, you know, uh, you know, I was living in an apartment with my girlfriend at the time, and I needed something to pay the bills, but I didn't want to get another job because I thought, you know, we were negotiating this contract, you know, it was a half a million dollar deal, we're going to be hitting the road, we're going to get money to pay our rent and all this stuff from the label, and I was like, well, I just need to you know, do something in the meantime until that happens. Uh, you know, and we were looking at, you know, later in 2001, it's as, you know, the deal was supposed to be done later in 2001. So, um, you know, I was like, you know, luckily I had already gotten booked a little, a little bit booked up with recording bands, uh, you know, here. And, you know, I used to record bands on the weekends that Swift wasn't playing and, you know, for a few hours in the evening, uh, evenings and stuff like that. So, you know, I had a lot of people wanting to get in the studio that I couldn't get in uh, when I was working at the music store. And I was like, well, let me just, you know, uh, take a run at this, you know, and I, that's like I said, I recorded the first BT, BT BAM, uh, record, uh, during this time period. And, uh, and it just kind of, 9-11 happened, and uh, that messed up our record deal offer. You know, the economy dropped. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the economy dropped out, and basically, uh, you know, MCA was like, look, we can't put a half a million dollars into an unproven band right now, you know, because we don't know what the economy's going to do, and blah, blah, blah. And our manager at the time was, he was anxious for his twenty thirty thousand $30,000 cut, and he was like, kind of, he kind of pissed off uh, MCA and was like, we're going to take Swift back to Warner Brothers, and 
He took us. He took. He went back to Warner Brothers, who also wanted to sign us at, at one time, and they were like, "Dude, we're in the same situation. We can't invest now." And then, uh, so you know, basically, like the rug was pulled out from under Swift in terms of the major label record deal. And so all of a sudden, it was like, "Well, you know, now I need a job. You know, I guess I guess I'll be recording." Uh, so actually, I moved back. Out, I moved out of the apartment. My girlfriend was not happy about this. I moved back in with my parents. Mm. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to make a push at the studio thing because I was quite booked up by that time. You know, I was booked up pretty much full time. And uh, I was like, I think I can make this work, but I need to uh, I need to learn to do the full production stuff. I need to get the computer, learn to do the full production and, uh, you know, just really try to do this. And I thought, you know, you know, if Swift does end up doing something, this is going to be beneficial for Swift also. Right. Uh, if we just buy our own computer and. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I just learned to do f- real full production myself. And uh, um, so obviously with the Swift thing, we just kind of decided, hey, we're just going to do this for fun. And up until about 2005 when, uh, you know, we kind of uh, just we went on hiatus. A couple of, the, you know, three of the guys moved up to New York with girlfriends and things like that. So we just couldn't be as active uh, as we had been up until then. But, uh, uh, but yeah, like I said, luckily somehow I've just been stayed. I've stayed booked ever since 2001. Uh, you know, with no, I really didn't plan on it. I mean, I kind of planned on it. I hoped for it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know it was going to be what it is now. You know, my wished career. for it would be a better, better term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I had fantasies that have having a big studio and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, so that's never happened, but, uh, you know, uh, luckily because, you know, a lot of the big studios, I mean, you, you take out a half a million dollar loan and a lot of the big studios around here have closed down and gone bankrupt and, you know, it's, uh, so I'm glad I never did go that route. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I would have never been in any profit margin. I wouldn't be able to provide for my family now, you know, if it, uh, if I'd gone that route. So how long were you, uh, cause you, you said you moved home, uh, when you moved home, obviously, did you start the basement then? And you, you said you, you earlier, it was in your parents' house. So was it right away kind of a thing that you just started kind of recording bands in the house? Well, I had always been recording in my parents' basement. Funny uh, funny thing, you know, cause, you know, ever since I've been playing in bands or, you know, I started playing drums was like 12, 13 years old. So we just started playing there and we always had band practice there. Somehow my parents were crazily fine with it. And, uh, so, so it's like I would record, you know, we'd have band practice at my parents' house. I recorded my bands at my parents' house in their basement. And then I recorded other bands at my parents' house, like my drums and all my gear were there, even when I was living in, you know, with girlfriends and apartments or whatever in my early twenties and stuff. And, uh, you know, I still just ran, kind of ran the business out of my parents' basement, you know, and it was literally just a basement. I mean, we're talking concrete walls and tools hanging on the wall, you know, on the wall and things like that. You know, it was, you know, my dad originally built it to, to work on his cars, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was funny, you know, sorry, dad. Yeah, exactly. Well, they didn't use it. So I was just like, well, I'm just, I'm using it. And somehow they were fine with the noise. I guess, I guess they had just gotten used to it over the, the years and uh uh but yeah like I said so you know i just i stayed recording there it's like you know ultimately like i was like i'm gonna have to you know it wasn't until uh 2006 that i bought my own house and mo- you know finally moved out of my parents basement you know um and started working out of my uh this house uh, that i live in now so uh but yeah so but you know i just moved from one basement to the other this basement has walls and you know sound treatment and stuff like that <laughs> in the main tracking room anyway uh <laughs> so it's you know it's not as just a basement it's not as much of just a basement as the other place is but uh, uh 
But yeah, but well, it, it it worked out. It was, it's funny how that basement actually sounded really good. It had it was the house is over a hundred years old and had a odd angle walls and exposed uh-huh. exposed rafters and insulation, so that it acted as you know, some sound absorption and diffusion and stuff like that. It had all the the duct work exposed and all that stuff, and so yeah. that room strangely sounded really good. You know, concrete <laughs> floors, but a local studio, multimedia dollar studio here in Kernersville, North Carolina, has all concrete walls and floors, and that was by design. So it's uh, it's funny, I had to spend a lot of money to get this room to sound like <laughs> that room did just by default. It's crazy. Right. Well, it's pretty cool that you had parents, you know, uh, that were very um, supportive. You know, supportive of you doing that. Because, I, I mean, I I also had a, a parents that were okay with our band practicing in their house yeah. for the most part. And we didn't have basements, so it was legit, legitimately in the house. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, when you come from a... A supportive environment that is all the world better but oh it's critical yeah i would have never been able to do what i did what i've been able to do uh would have never been able to learn this stuff without that uh option and my dad played some guitar and uh, i think you know i think they just you know uh they were hippie parents you know back when they were kids so they liked <laughs> rock and roll and stuff and my dad would come down and watch us play and watch me record other bands and stuff like that so he's you know it's a but yeah i mean i you know it's uh definitely instrumental and and you know, me developing my ability, you know, on drums at first and then in recording and, and uh, whatever other musics and stuff. So I definitely owe it to them for that, you know. One of the only basement shows I ever actually played in my entire life with uh, the band I was in was in Winston-Salem, of all places, wow. with a band you recorded with. You recorded, not with, but you recorded. Oh, wow. Uh, my Hero Is Me? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we played we played a show with them, and you may even know uh, the person's house. It was Lintz. Uh It sounds familiar. I saw he was him. one of the. I think right now he does a lot of like he runs a couple bars up in that area, but uh, he was their manager or something like that. So yeah, we played a my one and only basement show was in North Carolina. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's a small world. Yeah, I'm sure you were very close to me at that time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it's awesome. So do you? I feel like. When you're buying equipment, obviously for your studio and stuff like that, it seems like one of those things that will just never stop because there's always the newest and greatest and best thing that's coming out. Do you think you'll ever be satisfied with your buying equipment? Probably not. No. Yeah. I keep, <laughs> like I've said it so many times. One of the things I wish I would have done is, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, there's some people who make fun of me because I'm talk- always talking about, you know, industry standards stuff or whatever. But, uh, but there, you know, I've determined there are some, you know, pieces of gear that's industry standard for certain sounds and things. And, uh, you know, I wish I would have known what those things are and, and would have saved up and just bought the industry standard stuff. Even, you know, some of it's inexpensive, some of it is, is, uh, is expensive. So, but I, I I tried to get the sounds that I was going for with all this budget gear, and I could not get them. And I developed a lot of bad EQ and com, you know compression habits and things trying to get the bad stuff to sound like the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know this is stuff like you know just basic preamps. Like I love API preamps on the drums. Like you buy you know an API preamp and put it on a kick or snare. It just gives you that snap and that depth and that in your face that's that the the just a regular solid state uh you know budget preamp just will not give you you know and it's it's not anything you do eq wise or compression it's just how that preamp sounds you know they're not cheap you know but you know i i went through so many different probably ten thousand dollars worth of budget 
preamps and interfaces before I finally just bought Pro Tools HD and got some Neve clone and API preamps and, uh, you know, same thing with the mastering stuff. I just bought the manly. I mean, it's five grand, but it's like, it's a standard for a reason. You know, it's like, right. it's tried and true. You know, Bob Ludwig uses the, you know, the manly stuff, you know, he's one of the biggest names in mastering. It's like, if there was something better, he would be using it. You know, that's my belief anyway. It's a logical deduction from all this stuff, but yeah, it's like, you know, down to, to drum mics, I would try to use these cheap drum mics, and it's like, you know, it's like I should have just bought the standard stuff, the stuff that everybody else is using. Like, I wanted to get sounds like other people, so let me get the gear that they're using. And that's literally half the battle, you know. it's uh, uh, Then you can develop good, you know, you can learn EQ and compression, develop good EQ and compression techniques and stuff. And, uh, you know, so that would have saved me a lot of time and money. And it, like I said, now luckily all that information is pretty re- readily available to people all they have to do is watch my class and others classes and uh you know see what they're doing what they're using and a lot of it honestly has been replaced by you know plugins and stuff in the computer um uh, you know you don't have to have as much gear um mm-hmm. but you know like i said they they people keep coming coming out with new stuff you know like i said the kemper came out it's like you know one time's like you know i had a wall of you know you know premium guitar heads and you know you know modified by voodoo amps in new york you know it had the best stuff and now like it's like now all you have to have as a kemper you know and you can you can profile all those and you have pretty much those exact tones for a fraction of the price and it's like yeah. and it's so much more convenient and all this stuff and it, but you got to spend the money again it's like man i just i've already spent 15 grand on guitar amps it's you know because so you know that the person getting in right now is like you know they're getting in a good time you can get um you can have access to all these great sounds and uh, great equipment for uh you know as cheap as it's ever been you know and one day like i said the I, maybe the real manly or the real apis and all that stuff will be replaced you know if they get the uh you know if they get the uh the software 100 percent right you know they've gotten closer with a lot of other things you know uh, like i said the kemper is pretty much spot on with the real amps you know and are close enough, and uh, I think they'll get there with the the plugins as well. You know, eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's insane how all that stuff. We've already said it, how it's progressed, but uh, it definitely is. It's crazy how how it's how far it's come, and I don't even know where it will go. You know, that's some out of this world stuff. Oh yeah, eventually there'll be an auto mix that'll put me out of business and everybody else. <laughs> Well, everything's going to be robotic, so it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. It's just you put your music in a computer, and it's like you tell what band you want it to sound like, and it'll just do all the stuff. And yeah, you know. Do you ever think? Do you ever think you're because you're you're somewhat limited for space in in your basement or or, or in general with you constantly buying equipment and everything? Uh, do you ever think you'll outgrow your basement studio? Oh yeah. well, I mean, not really. Like I said, I'm recording less and less. So if anything, it's like I, you know. I could probably sell a lot of the stuff I have now and just, uh, I'd be fine. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of like guitar cabinets, bass cabinets, you know, amps, all that stuff. It's like, it rarely gets used. Um, uh, like I said, I've, I've, I've profiled all my amps. So all my amps are in the camper now. So there's really no real reason. You know, the only reason I have my amps, honestly, is just there's, I have some older guys, they're purists and they want to use a real amp on the record. And, uh, I can do that cause I've got them, you know, but uh, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I know it sounds exactly the same if I use the Kemper, so, and it's more convenient because it's like right here and it's, you know, you don't have to burn tubes and things. So, uh, but yeah, if anything, I'm fine with uh, downsizing. Uh, like I said, it's, um, it's when I do, if, you know, if I do have a project, you know, like between the Barry to me, they like to record the last couple of records. We've recorded the drums at the Fidelitorium, uh, just to get the big room sound. 
the real, instead of, you know, I usually emulate, you know, this convolution reverbs, you know, you can emulate, you know, world famous studios and things like that. And it's, uh, it's, uh, to me, it's good enough. Um, you know, it's just as good as any real room really. Um, but you know, there, there's, you know, it's just, it's just, if you got the money and the resources, why not do the real thing? It's, it's fun, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so we, uh, we track, we've been tracking at the, um, uh, the Fidelitorium for the cast couple records. And it's a big room and, you know, we, they've got timpanies and, you know, if we, you know, if they need to track any strings and we need the big room, we can go over there. So there's times, you know, my thing, there's, you know, there's people who have that stuff. So if anytime I need something else, you know, uh, I'll either go to another studio or I'll rent it. Like I said, if there's some gear that I don't have that the band needs, I'll just, I'll either buy it and then sell it or buy it and return it, <laughs> you know, whatever I need to do to have access to the gear. So, uh, you know, but the stuff I use on the reg, you know, I'm pretty happy with right now. There's a few pieces of gear that I kind of would like to have, uh, you know, for mastering, mixing, stuff like that. But, you know, nothing, uh, you know, I think I've, uh, I've, I've, you know, done enough experimentation for, you know, to, uh, and, you know, as far as the sounds that I need to get and I like to get or whatever, that I've got the right stuff for what I'm doing at the moment. Have you ever thought about maybe packing up and moving your your studio and your whole situation to a bigger market or or an area like you know new york la or anywhere like that no way no way no <laughs> I, I love my family's here i love north carolina and it's like it's been good to me it's like i would be you know small fish in a big pond in that situation like here i feel like i'm kind of one of the bigger fish you know Yep. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, I think I'm in a good spot for that. And it's, uh, you know, honestly, like I said, the big city is certainly not for me in terms of like, you know, <laughs> I've, I've got to be able to go to the mountains and, you know, here in North Carolina, you drive for three or four hours, to get to the beach, you drive for a couple hours in your mountain. So it's like, you know, you got that variety and it's, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, but it's, you know, I, I, like I said, I've, I was born here. I've been living, living here, you know, my family's comfortable here and stuff like that. So, uh, and like I said, you know, I have traveled here and there for recording, um, so if somebody needs me to come to wherever, um, you know, I can fly there and do the work, you know, it's, uh, there's stu- like I said, there's studios all over the place. I've been lucky enough. I've got a, a, a good number of assistants, you know, uh, 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 I've got, you know, Evan Sammons from, uh, you know, last chance to reason, um, you know, Michael Sarr from the contortionist. That was his old band. Uh, he's up in Maine, you know, so I've got a guy who helps me up there. I've got, I mean, just guys everywhere. I've got a guy who helps me on the West Coast, down in, you know, um, down where you're close to you. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who have, uh, who knows my, that know my process and how I do things. And um, they're kind of like uh, franchises of the basement, you know, in a way. Uh, so <laughs> it's like. I was going to ask if you ever thought about having multiple studios that, you know, where people can, not you run specifically, but you can yeah. just pop in if you need be if like the band's closer in that area it's yep. still like your studio someone else is running but you just pop over you know yeah absolutely yeah since i've done my uh classes like on creativelive.com and urm or whatever it's like it's cool because there's some people who i've met who have uh who've learned who kind of watch those things and learn my process uh quite a bit and uh like i said i've got a guy in texas like if there's a band in texas that's looking to record you know if they you know they'll they'll approach tommy my manager and and he'll be like, hey we can you know if you go up to Jamie, you know, that's fine, but it's going to cost, you know, I don't provide sleeping quarters, so you're going to have to get a hotel room, you're going to drive, blah, blah, blah. Or you can stay in your hometown and record with this guy who's been trained by Jamie. And, uh, you know, so it, it's really a good uh, way for me to do business. I can help more clients, you know, because when I'm doing mixing and mastering, um, 
you know, since I'm not doing a whole bunch of the, you know, the traditional production anyway in terms of getting into people's songs, you know, if they want me to get into their songs, they're going to have to like send stuff via email or come here, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for that for that type of production. But it's rare that I get people who were actually looking for that in-depth uh, song production, and, and you know, mostly they just want to have their stuff sound a certain way. So when I have these satellite studios, like, you know, they're usually using the same preamps that I'm using, same mics and stuff. I'll tell them, Hey, this is what I want on this and that. And I'll give them, you know, my assistants a list of how I like to have things tracked out. And, uh, you know, just as long as they make sure they get everything in time and in tune and and get good magical takes or whatever, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, it's the product's going to turn out essentially the same, you know? So, yeah. Uh, so that kind of leads to a good segue point here for the next couple of questions. Uh, when you're working with new clients, whether um, or clients, I should say, new or old, um, I mean, I, your approach has changed over the years. Like you said, you don't really necessarily do a lot of the producing part of it anymore. But how involved are you in the process, like as far as creating their album? It just depends on the you know the client and what they what they want, need, and stuff, and. Um, you know, uh, like I said, yeah, it has become less and less with most uh, most of my clients. Uh, but I have, I've had, you know, here recently I've had a few people who are like, you know, they've had me play the drums on their record even. You know, it's like, hey, we need drums. Uh, uh, they'll have their idea kind of sketched out in Superior Drummer or something like that, but I'll go in and play drums. So that's a, you know, I can kind of get in and do that aspect of, you know, things or play bass on the record, things of that nature. I've had a few uh, bands. I have a, a band right now who's... Um, uh, I guess I probably shouldn't say because it hasn't been announced, but they're 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 working with a pretty big uh, famous drummer in terms of structuring the material, and uh, he wants he wants to work with me on that also, like structuring and uh, actually writing writing more so. So that you know, there's and he will be coming here from Nashville. Um, you know, there's a few clients who do ask me to do that type of stuff, and I'm I'm definitely down to do it. You know, it's a, right. it's a lot of fun for me to uh, you know to to get creative and things of that nature, but. Uh, you know, at the same time, like I said, the uh, it's uh, most of the most of the bands I work with, they have very they're very you know pro- progressive music. Most of the musicians they are very specific about you know <laughs> their material. You know, they're like, hey, this yeah. these are the parts. This is the way we want it to sound. You know, down to like the kind of this is the tempo for the delay. You know, stuff like that. You know, so it's kind of hard to uh, to get super creative with some of these bands that just be like, ah, oh, you're taking away from our original you know vision and blah blah blah. So I try to be. Uh, I try to just, you know, follow the instruction, you know, to the, you know, as much as possible. If I have an right. idea, I always would throw it on the table. You know, I'll be like, hey, man, what do you think about me doing this? And if they're, hey, cool, let's try it. You know, if they're, you know, if, if we try it and they don't like it, obviously, you know, my idea, my idea doesn't get used. But, uh, but yeah, like, cool. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, certain bands, like, you know, I remember with Between the Buried Me, I used to help Tommy out with harmonies because he started off as a primarily a screamer. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't a, a melodic vocalist at first, and he's become a pretty badass uh, melodic vocalist. Uh, yeah, he's a great singer-singer. Like, yeah. Uh, he has great vocals. Yeah, I remember him, like, when they were like, dude, you're going to have to sing. Um, the original vocalist is Will Goodyear, their original drummer, the original clean vocalist. And when he, he was out of the band, you know, it was basically fell to Tommy and Paul to do the melodic vocals. And, you know, Paul's a great singer, too, in reality. And uh, But it's like, I remember Tommy would come in to, to flesh out his ideas and I would help him write harmonies and things like that. But see now Tommy, he's, you know, you know, past decade or so he's, he can write his own harmonies. So there's, there's less help with that with between the barrier. I mean, now it's just, now I'm probably the, the bad influence of the band trying to, you know, like, Hey, let's put, uh, 
let's put banjo over this part and just dumb, you know, just all the silly fun stuff, you know, like I'm, 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 you know, I like trying, trying all that stuff. It makes it fun. And they're into it too. So, and a lot of that stuff's their fault as well, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> their fault. yeah, but, uh, yeah, we have fun with BT band. They do a lot of layering and, um, they run the backing tracks or whatever. So we, we get to have fun with that kind of stuff, you know, like yeah. Blake and I have done full marching band sections and I mean, just they last record, we finally got some real horn players in, you know, trombone and trumpet player and things like that. And it's, uh, uh, you know, that stuff makes it killer. You know, it's, uh, it makes it a lot of fun and just adds a little extra spice and vibe to the music to have the real stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's different than, cause I'm sure Tommy previously has, uh, you know, maybe recorded it with a keyboard because i know he's a he's a very talented keyboardist too so yeah, yeah. he probably bit, did some horns like that or, or produced some horns and stuff like that but yeah having the actual instrument there and someone who can play it is definitely an upside to that yeah there's there's certain things i used to play trumpet in you know in high school and uh same yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh it seems to be a common i've met a lot of people i know uh, ryan from mudvane i'm recording uh his uh, new project soften the glare and he used to be a trumpet oh, cool. player it's like how interesting many, yeah everybody's a trumpet player it's crazy but uh, uh but yeah like i mean back, a, i wish i chose a different instrument honestly but you know i i stuck with it so what do yeah you well i got yeah i got uh convinced to do that as well by the like we need a trumpet player for the christmas concert and so i was a trumpet player i was like dude i want to play drums but but for me it's like it was actually a good thing because i got the note uh note theory and stuff a little mm. little better than i would have otherwise and it's uh so it's actually it's a good thing that uh, I was pushed to try play trumpet and, uh, but yeah, I'm actually a real big fan now, you know, it's, and there's things you can do with horns and stuff that might not necessarily exist on, uh, you know, with, uh, programs or at least program or that I know that exist with programs and stuff. And, uh, you know, so it was cool for this last record for them to have a you know, real legit horn players. And we're looking to do that with a soften the glare record. Also, it's uh, get some, you know, real sax, real horn, real fiddle, that kind of cool. stuff, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, and it's usually me kind of pushing that kind of thing because I know, you know, the life it can add is, you know, in terms of production, like they're like, oh, the, the keyboard sounds fine. I'm like, yeah, it sounds fine. But trust me, it's going to be hot fire when we throw these real horns on here. And you know, especially yeah. if you get some real players, you know, it's like for some, there's a certain energy it brings to it. You know, it's just I think it's more full. I think the sound is more full, too. I mean, because it in my personal opinion just kind of sounds flat if you have kind of like a keyboard yeah. kind of like sample or, yeah. or whatnot but yeah it's just like drums you get fake program drums there's just something about it it sounds good technically but it's like there's a certain life that's missing if if it's a real drum performance it's there's something about it there's a it might not technically be as good i mean like mm -hmm. in terms of fidelity and consistency and whatever else you know uh but it's there's a certain life and vitality to it that doesn't exist uh, with the program stuff, I mean, no matter how long you, pro I mean, it's like no matter how long you program and stuff, and uh, same thing with horns and all this other stuff. I mean, if you can do it real, that's you know, that's a lot of my you know, in terms of production, you know, I, you know, I try to produce, you know, I try to uh, get people to do real stuff whenever whenever there's time and budget to do so, and uh, it makes sense for the project. You know, I I, I try to push us, hey, let's do all this stuff real. Yeah, you know, none of this fakery like slow down recording guitars for perfect, perfect subdivision shred licks and stuff. It just, it's like to me, it's like I don't get stoked unless I know it's real. You know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't sound a little bit imperfect, I almost I'm suspect of it. You know, when I'm yeah. as a listener, I think, you know, especially in prog music. I mean, I think uh, I think the fans maybe they haven't put their finger on it, but I think they're you know, largely the same. You know, they just 
It's like it seems like the bands who do it real, who have more organic records, get bigger. The biggest bands always have real records. You know, they don't. Yeah. You know, and all the bands who who have become popular, who did, who used to have uh, programmed records, they're now doing it all real as well. You know, so it's like, you know, I understand it's you know more time and effort and. You know, sometimes more money or whatever goes into Definitely that. Definitely sometimes uh, more money. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's worth it, you know, and it's, uh you know, to me in the long run, you know, in terms of you know, metal and rocks, you know, traditionally performance based art and it kinda should be that in my opinion, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like a I don't know. So but that's just my what two cents and opinion, you know, say every you know the different styles of music, you know, kinda can can benefit from a more mechanical vibe too, so it just depends on what you're going for, I guess. I think hip hop and electronic music are the only ones that could probably benefit the most from that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's fine. You know, nobody cares. There's no performance people are listening for. You know, they're not getting stoked on, you know, any technical performance element. You know, so it's like I think the coolest sounds you can come up with is where you want to be with that. You know, something fresh and original, and you know, it's more fashion oriented. I think in terms of the, you know, sonics and, you know, yeah. rap deliveries and whatever else. You know, plus if you have a laggy drummer, that adds to. That, you know the whole overall sound i mean led zeppelin was like that they had a drummer who was you know yeah. drunk or high half the time in the studio so yep. if it, it comes was, out crazy and people love it and if it was programmed it would not have sounded that way absolutely I mean, or even if he was just a regular dude you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly <laughs> if he was sober yeah, it would not have sounded that way. no but yeah i mean there's there's reality and all that kind of stuff it's just capturing that vibe and magic you know i think that's a Definitely a role as a producer. I try to play, you know. I try to, you know, try to people go for originality. I try to, you know, people try to try to find the magic. You know, wait until the magic happens. If, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's a there's a take in there that's going to be, you know, obviously some everything doesn't have to be, hot, you know, hot fire magic, you know, whatever. If it's like a background rhythm or whatever, but you know, we talk about lead vocals or lead guitar or like the the drums are definitely heavy. And I mean, anything that's going to be heavy and clear in the mix, you know, it needs to be, you know, it needs to have some. It needs to have a lilt to it, you know, a nice, magical, you know, hot fire feel, you know. So what are some things that new bands should do before heading into the studio for the first time? Or when should a band spend money on recording and studio time for the first time? And, and uh, a, lot of ba- I mean, a lot of bands are recording themselves these days. So, like, is it better to record yourself and then come, you know, for the mixing and mastering? Or does a band benefit from, you know, booking recording time with an actual person as well i honestly believe yeah i I believe uh go in and record with a professional first before you ever record yourself um because you're going to learn you know just uh you're paying for studio time to record your material but you're also paying for the ability to sit there and watch what the you know see what the professional did see what gear that he's using blah blah blah, or she um you know things of that nature i think it's uh to me that'd be a it's an optim you know opportune time maybe you know first couple records even you know you know wait and it's like and you know i think there's aspects that you can record at home with budget gear you know there's a lot of stuff like a lot of people recording uh you know most people need to go into a studio to record acoustic drums just because you know the preamps and the interfacing that's needed to to record acoustic drums um you know all the mics and all that stuff i mean you need you know, 12 minimum inputs up to, you know, up to 20 inputs, you know, it's like to do a, a regular drum kit properly. Um, and it, it doesn't make sense for the average individual to buy all that, you know, to buy all the mm-hmm. premium analog, in, you know, uh, preamps and, uh, you know, microphones and, 
you know, premium interfacing, stuff like that. So I think always it makes, unless you're just rich, it just makes sense to go into a studio to track acoustic drums. So you're going to need to go do that anyway. Uh, most people do it, you know, even people who are professionals and, you know, they can record at home all except for that. So, um, uh, plus you have to have a, you know, acoustically treated environment to maximum, you know, to do it proper. You know, you could potentially have some negative, if you're trying to record in your living room, it might work <laughs> out, but it might not, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, so there's that or whatever, but you know, a lot of things you can track at home these days, you know, and it work out fine. Like guitars, you can record the guitar directs. Uh, you can even probably record vocals, um, you know, certainly bass, certainly, uh, synthesizers, keyboards, or, uh, anything like that or whatever, especially all background stuff that you don't need a whole bunch of definition or clarity for could certainly be tracked at home. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of bands that, you know, they'll track the drums in the studio track all the guitars at home and then if their drum if their guitar tracks or vocal tracks need some life i'll run their stuff through my analog gear to add that transformer harmonic saturation and uh, mojo to the sound um if it doesn't sound like their you know stuff was recorded with deep, you know high quality uh you know analog gear or whatever um so there, it's kind of a workaround strategy but it, you know that way they can take time and do it at home and uh you know, and, and, you know, a lot of people like to record as they write, and it's only cost effective to do that uh, if you are at home or you have your own studio, right. you know. Uh, it can get really expensive in, in a studio situation if you're actually writing as you're recording. So, uh, you know, that's appropriate for those people. But, yeah, I think, like I said, an up-and-coming band, like a band who's first starting, yeah, go into a studio and just maybe do the whole first record uh, in the studio. Then maybe the next one just cut the drums and go home and try to do the guitars and, and then come back and do the vocals, you know, depending on what your gear is. And then, you know, as you become more and more confident, as you get more gear and things of that nature, then uh, uh, then maybe you can tackle everything. Maybe you can grab some stuff and do try the drums you know, yourself or whatever. But, you know, like I said, to me, I, I, I can't see tracking drums with anything less than $10,000 and it being, the you know, the, yeah. you know, unless you're planning on sample replacing everything, which a lot of people do. Uh, but that would be the only option at that point is just to, you know, take, you know, use samples that were recorded with premium gear and replace, yeah. replace all your drums. And, uh, you know, uh, that only gets tedious. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's common, you know, it's a very common thing. It makes it easier, um, for, you know, it, you know, like recording acoustic drums is a, it's definitely a skill to develop. You know, you got to learn how to tune, you got to learn mic placement, you got to learn dynamics treatments and EQing, you know, it's, it's probably the most difficult thing to do for modern rock and metal, you know, I think, um, you know, it's the, it's the, and it's becoming a lost art, you know, there's a lot of, you know, back in the day you had to learn that. Now you don't really have to learn it, you know, you can record some symbols and then sound replace everything. And it sounds pretty close to professional. Uh, but it's not as, uh, you know, like I said, you lose a lot of that, uh, magic or whatever, like the more, you know, sample blending you do or whatever, like I said, especially if you don't do it properly, uh, you know, you can really lose a lot of, lose a lot of magic and energy and, and vitality to the recording. Yeah. How crucial is it for bands to, cause we were talked about, you know, getting the proper tones and, and, and everything like that for, uh, you know, an artist or a band's music. How crucial is it for a band to have a unique sound? Um, do bands try to find it while they're in the studio or do they come with it already known? Um, and how influential are you in, you know, um, honing in or picking out their sound? 
Uh, like a lot of times, like I said, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's like whoever's paying is the boss, you know, and I tried to be a, you know, if they want a specific sound, you know, I'll just, I'll try to find that sound for them. Uh, but at the same time, I do try to, you know, as a producer, I recommend like, Hey, just, you know, like I try to get people to give me an idea what kind of sound they like, but then I always, you know, state that it's like, you know, I like to try to, you know, let you sound the way you sound, you know, it's always, you know, always give them a lecture about that. You need to sound, you need to have your exclusive sound ultimately for success. And I truly believe that I, you know, like I said, with between the buried man contortion, some of these, you know, the bands that I've recorded that are successful. Uh, part of the reason I believe they're successful is because they have a really unique and identifiable sound. You know, when you hear 30 seconds of a BT Bam song and you know it, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like, you can tell who it is by the way they do their riffs, by their tones, by the vocals, you know, it's like uh, the drum beats, things like that. And it's like, uh, you know, it's uh, they have their own sound. So I try to, you know, every band that comes in, I try to, you know, you know, teach them uh, that lesson that I've learned that what I've seen pay off for other artists, and, you know, and uh, is to find and have your own, you know, tones, you know, your own riffs. You know, it, it, even if you do stuff that's similar to other bands, you have to find your own you know, at least somewhat your, your own combination and the way you do things that make you stand out and cut through the clutter. And I think, uh, you know, uh, I think that's important for, you know, ultimate success. I think it sounding like another band and most of the bands I have that are young that record with me, they usually want to sound like their favorite couple, two or three bands. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, and I understand that cause I was there too. I was a kid, you know, like I love, you know, Metallica and I wanted to sound like that. And it's like, uh, you know, but you know, as you mature as a musician, it's like you, you start to see the value of uh, you know having your own you know uh, unique, identifiable sound, and uh, um, so I think, like I said, at first you can get a little bit of you know you can get a little bit of attention if you if you sound like another band and and are doing a good job of it, but ultimately you're never gonna like you know go to the you know you're never going to make it to the making a living status until you have an exclusive product that yeah. um, that people like you know uh, i think that's uh you know it, yeah it's super important to have a, a i think a unique sound as well for your longevity of your career yeah uh, first and foremost because uh if you sound just like everything else because with the plethora of artists that are like you said able to record at home and with the marketing and the um the just the internet and social media you know it seems really saturated yeah. in that in, in metal and stuff like that now because it's just more available to everybody um but yeah it's it's very critical i think for a unique sound yeah, absolutely. um so the next question was have you ever been asked not to work in your home studio but uh obviously we've gone over that <laughs> yeah. so uh does it cost extra for for someone to bring you outside of your home base because you're so you know apt to working at home yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it well you know obviously there's travel expenses involved and right. you know i'd you know i've got a young um kid or whatever and I, i'd rather not spend a lot of time away from him so if i'm if i'm gonna go somewhere it's i'm gonna have to get a little extra for that you know worth it. it's gotta be worth it yeah it's just uh you know and depending on the artist you know what i'm saying if it's something i really believe in or you know, i think it's going to be a big uh you know boost from my career or something of that nature if there's other uh, you know, the other things that play into it, then I might agree to do it. But yeah, just in general, it's like, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just hang around here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I actually was introduced to North Carolina. Uh, my family's from North Carolina, oddly enough, but 
when I was younger, uh, 16, 17, 18, that's when I started traveling for shows. And it just Swift was one of those bands that obviously I, I was really into when I was a kid. So I remember going uh, to North Carolina. In kind of, I mean, I fell in love with North Carolina since since then. But yeah. I mean, I went to like the Lovesick, uh, not the Lovesick, but the Waging War CD release party and yeah, yeah. all that other stuff. So, I've yeah, I, North Carolina is a great place not to want to leave. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that was yeah that was a different time for North Carolina too, especially music scene wise. You know, the music scene's kind of dried up around here since then. But uh, That's crazy because it used to be so. Like, a lot of metal used to come from there. I mean, I remember North Carolina being like a North Carolina metal. You know what I mean? That was a staple. I think there's some good bands around here. I think the problem is just a, a consistent, you know, for the past decade, there hasn't been a good, any good consistent venues that really support and making, you know, making good decisions as far as, like, what bands to bring in and what bands to pass on and things like that. And it's like, a, you know, it used to be Ziggy's, which Ziggy's was, I think, a terrible venue. And... uh was that the one that was kind of like a... It was like a barn. Like barn a, like with a, like different layer levels? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, we had our best shows there. You know, had a cool vibe there. But yeah, the venue itself wasn't that not great or anything. Uh, but yeah, they uh, they finally, uh, they got, they were forced to sell by Wake Forest University to make room for tailgating parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> but it oh, took, wow. yeah, and it took them some years to like finally open up a new venue and then they had a, they opened up the new Ziggy's uh, downtown Winston. It was a super nice venue, finally done right. But then it's just bad management. I think Jay, the original owner, got sick or something, and whoever else that was running it were you know they started doing like Hispanic night and hip hop night, and none of the venues that ever do that ever succeed. You know they were mm-hmm. the, you know, big packages would come through, and they were like, oh, we'll pass on it. And it's like you know over time it just the, you know there wasn't any consistent place to go see you know live rock and metal um you know so it was like it just died it just you know and, and over to you know luckily we have the the ziggy's the building is reopened uh you know as as a club called the ram cat and it's owned by some new people and i'm hoping they do proper things but uh, i'm hearing they're 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 passing on big uh big metal uh packages and stuff like that so it's like you know and even when the, the art you know a lot of and this happens all over the country but it's like you know i, I understand a lot of bands uh you know a lot of uh you know uh, metal you know artist tour and packages like three or four band packages and things like that but it's like the local promoters need to put on the local bands with the big bands to help those smaller bands get popular so that to build build your local scene too. It, it builds the scene, yeah, exactly. You know, like us, you know, Swift had a few opportunities, but it was just we had to fight for those few opportunities. You know, to open for bigger bands and things like that, and uh, you know, it's just uh, you know anybody with you know any business common sense to me would know that hey, this is a positive thing if we help build up this lo- the local talent. That way, when we don't have a big package coming through, we can put them on and. They're going to pack out the club, and you know this place becomes known for the place to go to, to 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 experience you know quality live you know uh, you know rock and metal and stuff like that. You know, I think uh, with any business, like I said, I mean, if, you know, if McDonald's decided to not sell hamburgers anymore, it's like if you go some days and there's no hamburgers, you're like, <laughs> eventually people are going to stop going. You know, and it's like right, right, yeah. You know, it's yeah, just, I only remember Ziggy's and I think Brouhaha's was right next into that. Right in that same area was that? Am I? Yep, you got it. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. Originally, it's been a while since I've been there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was back in the day. Yeah, the uh, the original Brujahas was actually the first venue there. It was called Beatty's. It was on Beatty Street, but I think somebody burned it down for an insurance uh, claim thing. But uh, 
Uh, but yeah, I saw a lot of great, I mean, Soundgarden, you know, Pantera on the Cowboys from Hell tour. I mean, Jackal, all kinds of hilarious and great, uh, bands, uh, you know, perform there. Uh, you know, but that was back when there was a scene, like, you know, back then they had great artists, you know, tour, you know, national touring, international touring artists every weekend. So it's like, without fail, every weekend that place was packed, like by default, you know, because everybody knew that there was going to be some good live music. There was going to be a lot of people there, and that's what kept that scene was strong. You know, it was like, and it, you know, Swift was on kind of the tail end of that with Ziggy's, and, uh, you know, just over time, it just kind of just died, you know, especially when the Ziggy's was forced to shut down and they didn't reopen. There was no venue here in Winston for, I don't know, it was like five years or something like that, you know. Yeah, we we uh, here in Jacksonville had a big, I would say, hardcore metal scene uh, yeah. when I was, in in my band and that was like mid 2000s early 2000s and then same thing happened here we kind of lost venues over time and then you know it kind of just decimates the local scene because uh, not that many people are introduced to you know that kind of music whether it be rock hardcore or any other kind of music if you don't have a venue so yep. uh venues definitely help obviously uh yep. but putting locals on bigger shows obviously helps way more yeah because i mean you know you got to continue that that flow of the younger generation coming in and seeing bands and things like that you know if they don't uh if they don't get that opportunity if there's no venue if there's no you know saying it's just not going to exist after a while you know it's just like you know the kids will stay home and especially now they stay home and play their video games and you know <laughs> or just watch them on youtube or live stream or yeah, exactly exactly uh, um so of all the recording process i'm gonna try to get back on you're good you're, you're good <laughs> Of all the recording processes, uh, it, it, whether it be like actual recording, engineering, mixing, mastering, whatever, what would be your favorite part and what is your least favorite part? Well, this is a tough one. And it depends uh, It depends on the client and the style of music and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, I, I Honestly, like I said, I don't mind editing. A lot of people think that's ridiculous and crazy, but uh, like I said, it's kind of a zen type of thing to me. Um, you know, I think I, I enjoy days when there's just nobody here and I'm just editing some drums or um, tuning some vocals and things like that or whatever. I'm like, at, I'm at my most calm. Uh, you know, some days are fun tracking certain clients, certain types of things and th uh, stuff like that. But some clients and some styles of music is really, really difficult. So those days would be my least favorite, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it depends on, you know, I enjoy, I honestly do still enjoy recording and mixing and mastering and all that stuff. Uh, uh, you know, I really like when it's all finally all comes together and it's sounding really good. You know, it's, there's the payoff there and stuff like that. I have, I'm kind of OCD or whatever as far as stuff. And it's like really all, you know, with music and music production, it's just, all you're doing is cleaning up the audio. You're cleaning and organizing the audio. So for an OCD person, they love to clean and organize. You know, so it feeds that cleaning and organized thing. You just know, getting it right is the really tough part. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's really kind of, uh, you know, it's stressful for me when it's not coming together like I want it to come together. You know, and it's that's least that's less uh, uh, common now than it used to be. Now that I know more, or whatever. But um, uh, yeah, it used to be like you know, sometimes the record would come together and it would sound really good. Sometimes, man, this stuff is just not sounding good. It was just like. Uh, you know, it would really bother me because I'm, you know, I want to make every client happy and I want to make myself happy. And, you know, and it's like that I have, a, you know, inherited, uh, you know, anxiety and stress disorder as well. But uh, so it's uh, it makes it really bad when things aren't going smoothly or 
it's just not coming together. Things are taking too long or things are not coming together like I want it to. So that would probably be, be you know, I know it's vague, but that would probably be the, the worst element to me. It's just, uh, um, you know, when things aren't coming together in a timely fashion. And a lot of times it's, uh, it's very maddening when it's not my fault. You know, it's like when it's, you know, I'm told a record's going to come in, I'm going to mix it, and all the production's supposed to be done, and I get it, and, like, nothing's done, or it's not <laughs> or it's not done properly, and I have to do it all. Undis- and then, you know, and, of course, the client's expected in the same time I told him it was going to be done without all this stuff, but now I've got literally 30 hours extra work that I wasn't ex- planning on doing, and it's like, and then that, that goes over into another client's work, and it's just like, it just turns into this, like, that's what I'm saying, I get forced into working 70, 80 hours a week, you know, and it's just a... It's uh, it's maddening, you know. It's uh, it's not good yeah, your for heart, my health. If your heart's not in it, if your heart's not in it, it's not not really the business for you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's tough or whatever. And uh, and I wish uh, I wish I could just turn it off and not have that. You try to make everybody happy all at one time, you know, at the same time. But I just can't turn that off. And it's like a, it makes it, you know, it's, my stress actually, you know, it's, it, it turns into physical stuff for me. Like I can't breathe right, and you know. Uh, you know, I sweat profusely and just this mm-hmm. all kind. Of, you know, it's a whole bunch of like you know some you know some serious stuff. You know, it landed me in a hospital some years ago or whatever, and uh, you know, on medication for it now. But it's uh, it can get really bad. <laughs> Jeez, those BT Bam records really take a toll on you, huh? It's not the BT Bam records. That's what's <laughs> they're the records are the most complex and elaborate, or you know, or then you know they're more complex and elaborate. But those guys are so prepared when it comes in. It's just like we're just hanging out and do the record, and they always. Yeah. Like I said, they're intelligent guys. They book more than enough time to do it because, A, they have the budget. and But they also have the smarts to know, it's like, hey, we're going to be doing some, we're going to set some extra time to do the, you know, uh, all these layers and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of clients that come in, they're like, you know, I, I say, hey, it's going to take this long if everything's written well rehearsed. They always say, it's going to be written well rehearsed. And they show up and like, you know, they're still writing lyrics and they're they're learning guitar riffs off the computer as we're recording. It's like, dude, this is not written and well rehearsed. You know, this is like mm-hmm. like you just totally ruined my life. You know, literally for the next <laughs> month or whatever because because you were either lazy or you just lied to me. It's like you should have just you should have rescheduled. You know, if you're not ready, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Just reschedule and come in when you have the stuff. You know, written and well rehearsed. You know, or, yeah. Those are some of the things that, if you're taking notes, uh, that's a note to take. Be ready before you come into the studio. <laughs> oh yeah, or either that, or just commute. Just tell the guys, like, look, we probably won't be ready because we never are. Uh, but let's book. You know, let's. You know, I'm gonna have an extra. You know, two, three, four thousand dollars or whatever, and we're gonna book an extra two weeks, a month, or whatever to do this. And uh, I would not care if they they can write the whole thing in the studio. It'd be fine, but I would have a lot of time. To do this and mm-hmm. uh, and prepare myself for it mentally, and it'd be completely fine. But it's like you know, it's a problem when you know you're told one thing and it's another thing, and it's become that has become more and more common these days. You know, the kids write records on uh, Guitar Pro, which is a great tool, I think. Uh, but it's a problem when they come to the studio and they have never even tried to play the stuff. Yeah, and they think it's going to be easy, and they get in the studio and they're learning riffs, you know, bar by bar, and then it's like. You know, it's like, dude, this is the now guitar is going to take two weeks to record and it should take two days. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it, this is some of the most difficult stuff you've written, some of the most difficult stuff to play that there is. You know, it's like, yeah, and you might not even be able to play it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, you know, and it, yeah, to me, it's, it's an integrity element. It's like, dude, if you can't play this, I don't want to record it. You know, it's like, you know, I've been, I've, in the past, I've done some records where, you know, I'm pretty sure the people probably still can't play the stuff. 
Uh, <laughs> and it's like, they're like, oh, I'll be able to play it when it comes time to do the tour. I'm like, I don't know, man. That's kind of pushing the realm of human possibility, mm-hmm. you know. But when you track it two notes or four notes or, you know, a bar at a time, it's, you know, doable. But in a live context, it's never doable, you know. It's like, or it might not ever be doable. And that's, to me, bothersome, you know, to do records that way. But it is what it is. I got to pay the bills. So. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you got to sit through crap, you know. Yeah, so, gotta, it is what it is. got to roll with the punches sometimes. <laughs> So, outside of, uh, I'm assuming Between the Barrier to Me has got to be some of your favorite moments uh, recording uh, bands and and such in general, just because you got to see them kind of grow throughout their whole career. But outside of them, who was your favorite artist to record with or work with, and who takes the cake on the least pleasant? (laughs) Well, I absolutely could not ever tell who was the least pleasant. Because that would be a politically uh, incorrect, but uh, I don't know, man. Like I said, there's a lot of good, a lot of cool people, and and it's not even relative to how good or popular they are. You know, there's some great people I've worked with that uh, uh, have never even released records really yet. You know, it's like a, you know, or they may have just released it on, you know, you know, digitally or whatever. You know, uh, uh, so a lot of a lot of great people. And there's been a few people who have been. Uh, you know, negative to, uh, to work with, not necessarily personally, just, uh, you know, I, I do have, you know, I'm OCD, so I understand wanting things a certain way, but I've had some people who are just, uh, you know, picky to the point where it's just ridiculous. It's like, it's like, dude, everything you're talking about that you want me to adjust, we're wasting hours adjusting this stuff. And it's not something that anybody would, could ever even notice. Mm-hmm. And they're not, you know, and I would point that out and they would just not acknowledge it. It's like, like everything you're tweaking is like, so you know, like I said, I mean, I've had people like, hey, I want another, one more echo on that word of delay. And it's like, yeah, dude, it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not making, you know, you're holding up the record. It's, we've been tweaking this thing for six months and you want, you know, this much high end added to the master. It's like, you know, to, to me, that kind of stuff, it really like starts to be like, you know, I, I want to tell them like, no, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you're wasting my life, you know, hours of my life, you know, you're wasting your own time. It's just like, but at the same time, it's like, I know how it is. I've, I was that guy who wanted things, a specific um, sound or whatever. So I want to be accommodating too, but it's a, uh, it's definitely not a pleasant thing. You know, it's like, you got to grit your teeth and just do what they tell you, you know, um, you know, it's kind of one of those, it's a service, you know, and I, it's like, dude, I have to do what they, uh, they want, you know, no matter how ridiculous I think it is, you know. Um, so, you know, and it's like I said, these are, some of these people are great people, you know, and I, and they're awesome to hang out with and to record and whatever, but they just get crazy with the, the tweaks. Nitpicking. You know? Yeah. And then you got the other people who, are, who are the opposite, which are also, it's also kind of bothersome who are just, they don't care. They're just like, whatever, man, it sounds fine. I'm like, dude, that's not good enough. Like we need to retract that. They're like, nah, it's fine. I'm like, dude, my name, I don't want my name on it if it's going to be right, this right. bad, you know, and. Uh, that's kind of that's a little less bothersome, but it's a bothersome also. So it's it's hard to say, man. There's a lot, there's a lot of great bands uh, that have I've uh, been lucky to record a lot of great people. Well, um, you just had mentioned kind of like you have OCD. Do your um, do your kind of ticks or whatever? If you have ticks, do they get in the way of your recording process sometimes, or is that something, or or do bands pick up on kind of like your ticks or something like that? I'm sure they do. I don't think if I have had, I don't think I've had anybody complain or whatever. I think, like I said, a lot of my, the, the OCD tendencies work to my benefit in, in this business. You know, it's like, a, like I said, my attention to detail and my, you know, willingness to push through and do all the editing, you know, um, 
that kind of thing, it's like, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, uh, you know, only somebody with a certain amount of OCD can even do it. You know, it's like when you're sitting there, you've been editing drums for 30, 40 hours. And so it's like, you know, some people would just be like, dude, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, and it's like, for me, I just can't stop until it's done, you know, and it has to be done thoroughly. It has to be done right. You know, it's like, I can't half anything. So I think, uh, I think a lot of my clients and myself, I, I think I look at it as a positive more than a negative. But I have, you know, in the past, I was, you know, here, you know, recent, probably recent last decade or so, I, I finally found a balance of like, you know, you know, it's like, you know, I used to, back in the day, I used to over edit, try to make things too perfect. And uh, I used to make, uh, you know, I used to do to be so thorough, it was like wasting time, you know, in a studio. I think those were uh, some of the disorder elements of it, you know, it's like, uh, back. <laughs> but I've learned to kind of balance things out, you know, and try to look at things like in realistic, you know, it's like, you know, it's all, you know, like I said, it's like, I try to, I try to listen to it as a listener. Like, are they, is this stuff that's going to, like, anybody will notice? Is this stuff that's going to affect whether somebody enjoys this or not? You know, I try to look at it from, through that lens and as a, you know, as a producer should, I think. And, um, you know, so that kind of keeps me reeled in, you know, I'm not going to go too crazy, uh, obsessing over stuff that, you know, oh, that undersnare wire sounds a little loose. It's like normal people don't care. You know, that's not going to make people like a record. And some of my favorite records sound like crap sonically, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it's like, you know, and I recognize that, you know, over time I'm like, you know what? It's like, it needs to sound good, but it doesn't have to be like this flawless thing that I thought it used to. I thought I wanted everything to be this flawless thing when I was younger, and uh, you know, and I've heard some records that are flawless technically, and they they lack life to me. You know, mm-hmm. as I've gotten mm-hmm. older, I realize there's there's uh, there's something with those just the slight imperfections and the the natural humanity and the recordings and things that's uh, that's actually better. I don't know what's better about it, but uh, it just feels better to listen to it, and it's like. Uh, it's just not a stale or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get onto the BT BAM situation. I mean, that was inevitable. Uh, so we've already kind of talked about between the bear and me, uh, leading up to this, but you're basically in like the circle cause you, you've done mace, most of their records, if not all, correct? I think all of them except for silent circus. And uh, okay. So it's like the first one or whatever. You know, yeah. We are the first one with victory. So I did their okay. very first record, which is a live recording. And then, but their first, uh, produced, uh, effort was, uh, silent circus. And that was recorded up in Boston. And the next question was how you got linked up with them, but that was because you were doing some recording already and yeah. live recording, sound recording, and yeah. they kind of linked up with you. So that's, that's kind of a cool situation. Um, What's the recording process like with them? Uh, well, it's evolved over the years, but uh, you know the new process. Like I said, they uh, they write the record. The you know they'll write the record. They'll record it at home. Uh, I gave Blake some recording gear years ago, as I upgraded, and uh, so they record their stuff at home. And um, uh, so, and then we just book the time. Like I said, uh, the past couple of records, we've been doing the drums at the Fidelitorium. We'll We'll go over there and track drums for three days. Usually he'll knock them out in two, but we'll have an extra day just in case. And so we'll track drums. Uh, then there's usually like a week off um, while we're working on the drum production and stuff like that. Um, any quantizing needed or whatever thing, any, any that kind of stuff. I mean, Blake's a good enough drummer where we could get stuff without quantizing, but they do have a lot of uh, MIDI sequence stuff or whatever that, that has to, you know, so the drums pretty much have to be in the pocket just 
just to put all the uh, the pre-programmed MIDI stuff in and all that kind of stuff. And um, and they got a lot of breakneck uh, tempo changes and stuff like that, so it's, it benefits from from being a little idealized in that regard. But uh, there's usually a week off to do that, and then they come in and uh, do guitars and bass. Uh, usually, uh, they usually do a half a day guitar, half a day bass tracking, uh, and then Tommy will come in towards the end once all the guitar rhythms and bass are done. Uh, and do his vocals and key any live key performance stuff he wants to do. Uh, they'll split those like guitar leads half a day, then Tommy do half a day on vocals and guitar keys. And then uh, the rest of the time, I'll go through and do the vocal production, guitar production, all that kind of stuff, get the mix in a ballpark, and uh, and then usually send it, uh, you know, send them a reference or whatever, and then they'll uh, they'll send me, uh, you know, uh, tweaks lists back and uh, via email, and we just keep tweaking the mix until it's done. Uh, yeah, I was, the next question is how particular are they with the process in general? Because, I mean, <clears throat> granted, when they first started and I first heard of them way back in the day, Silent Circus time, they were just kind of like a progressive metal band at the time and, and it, kids, basically kids, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so it's crazy. They've become such like revered musicians, all of them, you know. So uh, I assume they are very, very particular with a lot of stuff and nuances on the album. You would think so, but, I mean, they're really kind of laid back about it. They, I think, like I said, uh, I think part of the reason they have continued to work with me is because we're on the same page about all this stuff. You know, we're, like, I'm a big fan of just letting, let, let stuff sound the way it sounds. You know, if Blake, Blake's got a new kit, I mean, they try to take it up another level or take it, you know, find, you know, new tones and new sounds and stuff every record, you know, slightly at least. Um, but so if they have a new guitar, a new pickup, or a new amp, they're, they're digging on. Uh, you know, we bring it all in the studio. Like Blake's got a new kit, we just set it up, tune it up. If it sounds good, we'll just rock out with it. You know, uh, if we need to change out a snare or a, a cymbal or something for a part or whatever, we'll just do it as we go. Same thing with guitars. Like uh, we'll use a certain amp and guitar combination for rhythms, and then for leads, we use whatever guitar is best for that part. And you know, there a lot of our sonic decisions are made as we go. You know, we kind of try it out. If it seems like it kicks ass, we roll with it. If it's if it's questionable, then we just try something else until we find something that we do think kicks ass. And uh, so, basically, by the time it comes to, to you know, for me to mix, all I have to do is get the levels kind of right, and uh, you know, I kind of uh, edit and mix as I go. And uh, you know, you know, a lot of times it's just hey, turn this up, turn this down. Uh, put a little more reverb on that. You know, it's simple stuff. They don't, they're not really super particular. You know, they're not, like, uh, you know, it's funny. The most particular bands are some of, oftentimes the, the least talented bands. <laughs> you know, I think that a lot of times they, they want to hear super specific stuff that they just, you know, the, the big shortcoming is in their performance and they're trying to compensate for that or right. short, uh, make them sound better than cover, they actually are. Yeah, cover it up, you know, and it's like, but, you know, as, as you know, as I've learned more and more over time and I've gotten better, what I do, I think, you know, the, the tweaking has become less and less. I mean, there's been a few records I've done, and they're like, dude, this is great. Uh, that's it. It's like, really? Like, they were fine with all my, uh, you know, choices and levels and tones and things like that. So I've had that happen a few times, and that's, uh, that's amazing to me, you know, um, to, to be able to, to – to like realize somebody's vision even without asking them, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, to me, it's become somewhat of an intuition thing. You know, I just kind of uh, go with my gut. I always ask, I always do research before I'm like, Hey, what, 
is there a record that you can kind of let me know, you know, are there a couple of records that kind of give me an idea of what kind of drum sounds you want, what kind of guitar sounds, what kind of overall vibe you'd like? And I try to, you know, I'm, I usually try to stay up on all the new stuff that comes out and, and always kind of, as we do the process, I kind of like reference these records and, and try to get an idea of where they are, where they are in the headspace, you know, what type of sounds that they like and, I try to like mentally compile that and and, and then try to in, you know inject it into their record or whatever or let it kind of guide their record in terms of tones and mix and uh, levels and stuff like that. So uh, that definitely helps, you know, is try to yeah you know try to get on their page from the get go. You know, uh, it shouldn't it shouldn't take too long. And I mean, you guys obviously have kind of grown up together at this particular point. I mean, they've been yep. a band for over 15 years and I'm sure, I mean, they've been working with you for almost the same amount of time. So yeah. it's, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 We just, we've evolved together too. Like we've, uh, we're into the same style of some music. Uh, you know, like we used to be into the heavier stuff. Now we're all into the lighter stuff. And, you know, it's just like, um, you know, or not necessarily lighter stuff, but just more adult stuff, I guess you could say, uh, mm-hmm. less hardcore, more, you know, uh, you know, musical dynamic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I just, uh, you know, so I mean, everybody in BT bands got different influence than each other and I've got different influences and stuff like that. But I think, uh, we're still all on the same page enough to be, uh, for things to be, you know, we don't have to really discuss a whole lot, you know, that's uh, cool. I kind of, so, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I just kind of have an intuition as to what they want, what they're going for, you know, and, uh, you know, always, ask or whatever and a lot of times you know they just they're really smart like i said they've already recorded the record and they've already made instrument and decisions and things and tone decisions even before they come to studio so it's just like it's just a matter of me capturing what they've got going on you know yeah um so another question that a lot of people ask uh us to ask you was are between the bear and me as good as musicians as we all think they are absolutely yeah i mean to me it's like well if you hear the record that's what they sound like i mean go see them live i mean they sound literally like just like the record you know they might miss a note here or there or whatever but uh you know it's uh you know but overall i mean they could play a 70 minute album and and only mess up like probably you know one percent of the time and that's insane to me you know mm-hmm. and when you've got all those notes and the crazy stuff that they play um you know they're definitely masters of their craft you know, um, you know, like I said, obviously there's, there's, there's people, I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, want to focus on their playing ability and they're great musicians. There's definitely better technical musicians out there, but what, you know, to me, BT Bam, their genius is in like, you know, the, their ability to, to write stuff that's, you know, like the Beatles, that's got this timeless catchy vibe to it. Um, and infuse it, put put styles that that normally shouldn't work together, and have them. You know, the transitions are genius. I think you know they'll go from black metal to bluegrass, and it sounds normal. It's like that's mm-hmm. not that shouldn't happen, but they have the theoretical prowess and just the the uh, uh, you know the the intuition to be able to do that kind of stuff. And that's the stuff that, that a lot of bands can't do. Like it's just a uh, and then they and and and. and with all that, they still maintain a sound of BT Bam. Would it, you know, they sound like Between the Bear. Every record is different, but they still sound like Between the Bear to me. Yeah. And, it, you know, Tommy's voice is really identifiable, his scream and his singing, so that's a big part of it. But it's not just that. It's just the way they do their riffs. It's the way Blake does his drum beats and how they – it's just – I don't know. It's like I think uh, 
Like I said, and I don't, I don't know if they know how they do it. I think they just do it, and it's been working, so they just keep doing it. You know, and it so uh, comes natural. Yeah, they. I know uh, Dan is. You know, I think the guys have mentioned like, you know, colors is when it kind of came together for them with this particular lineup. You know, the, the lineup that's been around for a while, uh, for a long while. The uh, it's they just kind of found this formula, and it's uh, you know, it's just how it naturally. They didn't think. It's not like a conscious formula that hey we're going to do this and this now it's just how you know all the influences that came together let's do all our influences and let's just see what happens and they did it and they just uh, keep growing or you know expanding outwards from that same formula and it's just uh it's been a, a winning combination for them you know it's obviously like a, yeah. they keep getting new fans and you know going and it's like some records are heavier some records are softer some records are more experimental some records are more you know go back to the roots a little bit and and it's like it's all still sounds like you know between the bear to me and uh like i said to me it's uh, you know to me what's amazing also is uh and, and i you know it's a, not just because they're the biggest band i've recorded but every record they do is really good you know it's like yeah you know a lot of bands like they'll have a you know cool one two maybe three records and then it starts to go downhill or they they get off course and things like that. BT Band has not gotten off course yet. And it's like, how do you do You stay together all these years, and it's just, to me, it just kind of keeps getting better. It's like, they keep finding new stuff. I'm like, that's just crazy to me. It's like, that's that's a, a rare thing, I think. And, uh, you know, they you know they slowly built because of that. Instead of, like, getting hugely popular and then just falling off the face of the earth or whatever, like a lot of bands do, they've just slowly, just continually, you know, uh, progress uh, within their own sound and it's uh and it's working out for them yeah i mean i've they each song is kind of like or not even, i can't even say each song because sometimes if not most times the album kind of is structured in a way to where you push play on the first song and there's no there's no musical gap until the end of the record yeah but they're they're all just like ginormous journeys you know, each song is its own journey. Like you were saying, they they could be like shredding, and then bam, you're into a samba. You know, like yeah. some kind of weird samba situation, or you've got like some kind of weird Aztec, Mayan sounding drum rhythmic stuff. And it's crazy <laughs> stuff, man. That that whole situation is crazy. Yeah, <clears throat> I do think that the addition of Dusty and Blake uh, when when Colors was recorded definitely just shot them into a different stratosphere. But oh, yeah. unfortunately, it did almost put the nail in the glass casket coffin uh you know but i you they kind of tease those two tease blake and, and dusty tease about you know the next glass casket record this that the other and I, i'm still waiting for it but you know oh it, it'll happen i think it's just uh it's just tough man because they i mean they work so much you know they tour so much and when they're home you know it's like they either have to do something between your bear and me and stuff like that and it's like i think they have a bunch of material it's just a matter of uh you know, now they've got families and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you get home from touring for three months and it's like, you know, hey, let's get together and work on some new music. It's like, no, dude, I am not. I'm trying to play some video games, you know. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably more or less what's been happening over all these years. And, uh, you know, plus they're in different headspace musically as far as, you know, I know Blake in terms of like, you know, I, I don't think he has a super burning desire to like, you know, shred some black metal or whatever, you know, it's like, uh, you know, or some death metal stuff and, uh, you know, I know Dusty still loves it, but you know he's been getting into a lot of. He's living living out in Nashville, doing like country session stuff now. Oh, wow. You know, and it's like a, so they're just heads in a different place. I know they'll they'll do it eventually because the demand is definitely there. I have kids all the time asking me to do stuff, and I, I have plans personally to remix the uh, 
the uh, the glass casket records, you know, just do a two two thousand. Which, which one? Both of them, yeah. Just, oh, cool. Yeah. So just to give a two thousand nineteen translation, hopefully they'll be able to get that those released, and that'll be fun for everybody. And uh, uh, you know, but maybe once I do that, I might inspire them to go ahead and uh, finish this uh, third record up. You know. Um, I've I've read that they they said it's heavier than the previous stuff. The, any of the new stuff that they had mentioned the last couple of years has, is yeah. heavier than We Are Gathered Here or Desperate Brands Diary. So I'm interested to see what that would be like. Oh, it will be. Yeah, because you know, being a BT, BT Bam, it just because if they're going to do it, it's got to be brutal. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, especially after all this weight, it's going to be. They've, I've heard a few riffs, and there's some riffs that are just they're killer. You know, it's probably going to be more prog than the earlier efforts too. You know, just by default, right. but. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's going to be heavy if they do it, you know, it's like, uh, so I'm still, it's interesting that that band, that band actually is still brought up. Cause you know, at the time, 2005 or six or four or whatever, I just remember they had like the one, two album and then, you know, Dusty and Blake left and I was like, damn, that's it. And I didn't even think that many people knew about them yeah. going forward, but I'm assuming the bigger BT Bam got. The more the internet was available, people started figuring out that these two guys are from this band, and yeah. they dove into that band. So that's interesting. I, you, you're going to remix and master those two albums because one of my questions was if you could remix and or, or, or remaster any of the albums that you had, which one do you want to do the most? Like to just fix it up because you have the better ability or better equipment or yeah. anything like that. All my, all the records I've ever done, I want, you know, it's like that OCD in me. It's like, yeah, as I say, OCD time. Well, like for the Swift stuff, I'm working on, I'm almost finished remixing and mastering all there's all the Swift stuff again, you know? Um, you know, are I, we going to see some vinyl releases? Uh, I'd like to. Yeah. I mean, if there's a demand for it, you know, it's, it's surprising to me that's, you know, people were still interested in the Swift thing and whatever, but, uh, but yeah, when we released our the new record last year, which was basically just a collection of songs we had had, you know, riffs that Gary or you know myself or Mike or Taylor or whatever, just Billy, you know, just little ideas that we had had for over ten, fifteen years. Just mainly, it's really old material, really. Uh, but we released that record, and when we did, I mean, everybody, you know, just kind of like, uh, you know, all this interest peaked up again, you know, and so it's like. So I was like, well, I need to remix. You know, let's do our 20th anniversary show, so we'll be doing that this year. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, in December, hopefully. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to I have to probably take time <laughs> off and come up there for that. Yeah, put your Jinkos and the chain wallet <laughs> on and uh, come back up to North Carolina for a new metal extravaganza. Yeah. No, but uh, like I said, so we'll do uh, our 20th anniversary show for that. And I was like, I just need to go ahead and once or for all just remix and master because i feel like i can get the sound that i always wanted for it i know the fans will probably still prefer the originals you know you get used to a certain sound um but it's uh you know i i, I i'm kind of thinking about doing uh just a remaster of the old mixes and then also mm -hmm. make the new mixes available you know uh, cool i just you know i think you know i personally enjoy the more the more modern, uh, you know, the specs have changed from, you know, everything, everything, the old masters are harsh and high indie, you know, and that was like common back then for the new metal stuff, like, you know, corn and Deftones, everything's high indie and kind of painful to listen to. But as I've gotten older, like I want it to be crisp, but, you know, you know, more pleasant on the top end and thicker bottom end and stuff like that. So. Yeah, full, the fullness. I feel like a lot of stuff recorded now is a lot more fuller sounding, whereas like, you know, because even when I was, I'm, I pirated a lot of music when I was a kid, so that's just that, and I still kind of do. Yeah. I feel like um, 
you would always see like the KBSs, like the yep. you know the kilobytes per second or whatever that the audio file was, and like 128 was a decent one back in the day, 192. Yeah. But now everything is like 320, and if it's under 320, it sounds like garbage. But you know, a lot of the stuff that we listen to, or you might you might even put out, was it within that range? You know, the 128, 196. So. Yep. Yeah, what sounded good to us back then doesn't sound good to me now. You know, so it's like a, you know, obviously, you know the the playback systems are all better now, you know, and, uh, so I want everything to sound pleasant, you know, and, uh, you know, there's also some different specs, you know, I, I've recently become uh, Apple MFIT authorized or whatever, so I can make the Apple, you know, online specs, which is, you know, slightly uh, more dynamic, uh, and lesser, uh, peak, uh, level or whatever for, so that the master doesn't crackle and stuff on some systems and things like that. So I want to have it set up for that also. So the people who do listen to it, it can sound, as pleasant as possible, you know, but, uh, yeah. And that'll help me put it to rest. You know, I always, you know, when we recorded, I didn't have the equipment or knowledge to do, to get the sounds that I wanted. And it's like, uh, you know, I've always like, you know, uh, you know, after a few years, I'm like, man, I really wish I could change, fix this or that or whatever. And, uh, so I think this will be like probably the last time I'll do it. But, uh, you know, like I said, we'll have the original, you know, mixes available for the fans who want to jam on the original stuff. And then I'll have the, uh, you know, 2019, 20th anniversary versions that they can uh, check out also so that should be neat but i'd like to do that with you know all the bt bam stuff and the glass casket and all the you know everybody who is uh, who's done an important uh record that people will let, would actually listen to uh you know now they have some some better gear and knowledge i'd like to revisit those and and uh you know touch them up and make them cleaner and uh you know bigger and fuller and you know more detailed and all that kind of stuff so yeah, a remastered colors album would be crazy. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, yeah. We we remastered it once, but it was for vinyl, and obviously vinyl's lower quality than CDs. So you probably a lot of people couldn't even tell it was remastered. But that version exists. But I, I'm pushing for a remix. So mm. um, I know there's uh, and this is on the down low too. But I think the uh, I think all of them will eventually be remixed and uh, remastered. Uh, uh, all the earlier ones, all the victory releases or whatever. Uh, I, I'm really pushing for that, and I think the guys, I think they finally somehow are getting uh, uh, access to the masters. Or I don't, I don't think victory actually owns this stuff anymore. So, uh, so I think it's kind of in the works. I, I well, I guess we'll have to see. It's a, it's a, it's a legal thing. I think uh, it's, usually is, especially if victory's involved. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so the last couple BT Bam questions in here because we're getting a little sidetracked, and it's. I'm sure you have other things to do at some point. <laughs> but, <laughs> gotcha. uh, um, which, which one should I ask first? <laughs> would what would you have a, like a, a nervous breakdown at this particular point if Between the Barrier and Mute chose to record an album with someone else? Maybe like maybe they've they've wanted to work with a, sp- a particular person but didn't want to hurt Jamie King's feelings. So oh, no. you know is <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it was you know that's. Uh... You know, obviously, like the last couple records or whatever were mixed by uh, Jens Bogren or whatever. Uh, the the uh, and the uh, they did they recorded the EP, the Parallax EP with uh, uh, David Bottrell up in Canada. And, okay. Uh, uh, so they've worked with other people. You know, it's like to me, I, you know, I want them to do what's best for their their stuff. Um, you know, to, to get to the next level or whatever. And uh, you know, um, you know, and I would totally be understandable. You know, it's you know if understand if they want to try something else and stuff like that and uh um you know you know having said that you know them choosing to work with me has definitely helped helped me a lot you know in terms of like you know um you know they're the most influential band i've recorded 
uh, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, I've recorded, like I said, with the contortionists, and there's some, you know, handful of other artists or whatever that I recorded that uh, also influential to other bands. So I don't think, you know, my business would totally be done or anything of that nature or whatever. But uh, it would definitely, uh, it's definitely, you know, it helps, you know, the BT band still still chooses to work with me, you know, because every time they do a record and it comes out, you know, I have, you know, uh, kids that are like, oh, that record sounds great. Let me uh, let's find out who recorded that and, you know, work with them. So, uh, so yeah, I mean... But I think, you know, with them, uh, you know, I think they, they'll probably continue to work with me, at least here and there, in some capacity, just because, uh, like I said, that's, I'm hometown. They're, you know, uh, Blake's right up the street, and you know, you, you know, most bands, you know, they orbit around the drummer, you know, wherever the drums are. Yeah. You know, it's kind of that thing. So, uh, you know, it's convenient, and, uh, you know, I feel like I can, I can do the work, you know, um, you know confidently. Uh, that they need done, and especially in terms of tracking or whatever else they might need or whatever. So I think I could be involved in some way or not or whatever. Uh, but yeah, there's a, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, when you get these other, especially when you get a bigger name producers and stuff like that, when you get a producers, a, a mixer guy or a mastering guy or a producer who's worked with a, a record that's gone gold or platinum or, you know, who's Grammy nominated and all this stuff, there's the name drop thing that's really beneficial for bands. Even if they're totally satisfied with my work, I still don't have a big a name as some of these other. My name is not as big as some of the other, uh, you know, producers and uh, mixer guys and mastering guys out there. So, and having those big names attached to the record really do help. I think in in some instances, uh, you know, getting uh, retailers to purchase CDs. You know, it's like they might they might order 10,000 units if somebody's name is on it, and if that name is not mm-hmm. on it, they might not. They might order a thousand. You know. And right. it's because they don't know who between the bear to me is, but they do know who tool is or who, who the other, the name, you know, there's a name association thing that happens within the industry. Um, that is a real thing. And, you know, I understand that. And, uh, uh, and plus, you know, like I said, a BT band, they're always just wanting to try something new. You know, it's like, they'll have a new, you know, it's, you know, they, they've been playing Mesa for years, but they'll come in and be like, Hey, let's use the pip, the 5150 on this record. It's not because they don't like their Mesa. It's just because they just want to try something else. You know, it's uh, extra experimental. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's that element. You know, it's uh, so you know I wouldn't be totally upset if they decided to do something else. You know, uh, uh, like I said. Uh, yeah, I'm just I was just asking because you're you, at this particular point you're you know you're a member of the between the bear and me circle. So yeah. you're you're pretty instrumental in the whole situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know. Um, speaking of which, when can we assume? that they might be recording again. I don't know. I mean, I, I, they're just busy touring right now. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming sometime next year, maybe, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, if they continue with their current, you know, uh, tour recording cycle, it probably would be at some point next year. But I, I imagine at some point they're going to have to slow down. You know, it's like they've been, they've been going at it hard for a long time, but, uh, you know, I imagine you got to be able to afford to slow down and, but I know, you know, they got families and, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, so I don't know. I mean, I would, but I would, I would suggest, I would think they'd be done with the touring this year and uh, early next year, and then take some months off to write next year, and maybe get in the studio late next year, or uh, you know, into the into twenty twenty one or whatever. But uh, yeah, they kind of go a couple years between their albums. It's like two, three years. Every two, three years, they kind of yeah. have a new album. Other than two thousand eighteen, they released. Um, Automated one, automated two. Yeah. So you know they had double release that year, but um, 
Yeah, ideally, I was kind of hoping uh, to schedule something with them as well within the same time frame as interviewing you. Yeah. Because at that point, I, would, I, I want to come up there. Uh, you know, I'd like to come up there, do like a little situational tour with your studio and, you know, behind the scenes type stuff. But I wanted to do this interview in person. And, yeah. you know, if, if they were there, they could do it the next day and that would be dope. But yeah. unfortunately, they all don't live in that you know yeah. in that area anymore so yeah yeah but uh yeah once that happens we would love to if we're allowed to come kind of like you know absolutely redo this redo this and maybe have a whole sit down with you and them yeah i'm sure they'd be cool with it yeah dan lives close by he's in greensboro and blake he lives in here in winston or whatever so those guys could be available for sure and dusty still has family here paul's in charlotte so he's doable tommy's west coast so that's more difficult but but yeah if they're here recording i mean for sure um for sure, we can make that happen. Yeah, that'd be good. I mean, and if not, obviously we know that there's like a lot of stuff going on with the recording process and everything like that. So yeah. uh, we're moving on to Swift for the last little segment here of the situation. Uh, we've kind of talked a lot about them. And um, I guess the reason you – we kind of already discussed the reason you're not doing as much is because, you know, your record deal kind of fell through with 9-11 and then just life happens and stuff like that. But uh, – is there new music is there actually new music coming too yeah well like i said we released the the, the record uh in december of last year um just kind of quietly just put it online uh, not any big uh you know uh, label release or anything like that uh but that that's probably the newest stuff i mean we have other ideas but uh i don't i don't know if we're, there's going to be any new er music you know that we we still got some ribs because i mean the music that Swift's known for is a dated sound, obviously, you know, um, you know, with the whole new metal thing. And, uh, you know, none of us are really into that whole thing at, at this point, you know. Uh, no way. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I still, you know, I still jam on the old stuff. I used to love Deftones and whatever else, you know, I still love that stuff. But the, uh, but as far as creatively coming up with new stuff in that same genre, it would be difficult for us. So if we did do new music, it would probably be really different. And it would probably be something that this, you know, the Swift fans would be like, this isn't Swift, you know? So, uh, right. So it, we might do m music, but it would, might be, you know, a different project. It might be under a different name. I don't know. Um, but as for right now, like I said, I mean, I guess, it, and it also depends on, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting. We did a, uh, you know, reunion show, I think it was 2011, um, at Ziggy's when it was open for the second time. And, uh, you know, there was like 1100 people there. So, they, you know, it was a surprise, you know, I thought, you know, you know, I was like, you know, there's no way, you know, it's like we might have, I'll be happy if we have 500 people, you know, because that's, mm -hmm. that, that was like, you know, we used to do like, you know, around 800 people back in the day. And it was like a big deal around here to do that many people. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, it'd be awesome if we get 500 people and it. And we, and it was like double that, you know, it was like kind of, you know, it was a novelty thing. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, it's like a family reunion of all the old Swift fans and, you know, friends and family in the area, you know, this was the only market that we ever had that we did, did those type of numbers. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Cause I mean, honestly, like a lot of our fans, obviously, you know, the kids used to come to see us back in the day. They're all grown up, moved away. You know, there's a good significant amount of people who have passed away since the, mm -hmm. the you know, the Swift days, you know, sadly, um, you know, a lot of huge Swift fans have passed away and stuff. And, uh, so, it, you know, I'm not expecting that big of a turnout this time or whatever, but you know, if the, uh, if there seems like there's people who still want to hear new stuff, I think that would help motivate us to, uh, 
to maybe to maybe do another record or something like that. I know, uh, like I said, we got a couple guys, uh, Gary and Billy, the vocalist and uh, bass player, respectively. They're living up in New York, and uh, uh, so it's difficult to get together with those guys. Uh, but Mike, the guitar player, and uh, Taylor, the other guitar player, uh, they both live uh, pretty nearby, and we've been actually getting together here and there uh, for the past couple of months and uh, doing some band practices and stuff. Cool. So, trying to relearn the stuff. I'm, you know, it's like a, I'm about twice the weight I was back the last time we played a show. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm gonna ha- it's going to be an interesting challenge for me to play the drums. Uh, but yeah, I need to just for the uh, you know exercise portion of it and just the uh, right. you know the anti anxiety stress uh, you know therapy that it provides as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, your Florida family, uh, f- fan family, definitely has missed you over the time. A lot of the, uh, like a lot of my close friends, I met through uh, webzines and through internetting in general. Uh, when I was doing like my old website, the HRN, um, you know, I met Jason through. Uh, he was doing the Florida Underground, and he also did some management for like School School for Heroes yep. and Calm and stuff like that. So, you know, all those bands and. I actually texted Jason earlier, and he was. Uh, he said the one question I have for Jamie is when is he going to? When are they going to come down to Florida? Because <laughs> we all have we all have kids and we can't travel anymore. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, yeah, that's a you know difficulty too. But yeah, I would love to go to Florida because we're still friends with the School for Heroes guys. I was talking to Dax and um, you know talking about maybe doing a you know kind of a small little tour of the, some of the the few of the markets that we you know used to do okay in uh, back in the day, just kind of pointless, you know, just for fun, you know. And, mm-hmm. You know, there might be only 35, 50 people there, but it would be, you know, it'd be a lot of fun. You know, it's like, uh, so I'm, you know, I might try to get the guys on board. You know, if we've worked up, the, if we've worked up the set again, you know, and able to play it well, and uh, you know, and uh, everybody can work out the time or whatever. I, I don't see any reason why we couldn't hit Florida and you know maybe New York and uh, you know some of the other you know North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee market stuff that you know places where uh, we used to have some fans. You know. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, maybe you know, maybe you guys open up for between the bear and me in the southwestern region here. You never <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be great. That would be kind of difficult, but great. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, yeah, use. I mean, just stylistically, they'd probably be like all the BT. Yeah, they might not. The BT band fans would be like, uh, what is going on? But uh, a new metal, what? It's funny. Well, you never know. A lot of those guys, you know, they may like new metal because. Yeah, between the bear and me can go. You know, there are there's so big the spectrum so big for them. Yeah, there's the faux pas is kind of uh, worn a little thin. Uh, you know, I've noticed uh, like some kids are actually openly like, oh yeah, I like corn. I'm like what? Like you wouldn't have said that yeah. ten years ago. It's like, no, no, no. They, but you know, now they're an old those those bands uh, are definitely like throwback bands technically. So yeah, the novelty. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, it's and they're still you, you know, I still enjoy those first records. You know, you go back and listen to them. It's like this stuff was cool. You know, for its time, it's innovative. You got to give bands like that credit. You know, and it's like a uh, you know, and everybody wants to hate on Lip Bizkit and all the rap rock and stuff. But people, you know, people were jamming that on mass back in the day. You know, it's like I was one of them, and then yeah. you know, it has its place in time. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I wouldn't jam on it now, but it's just like you know. Uh, but you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, I don't know people, people tend to be silly about like a fashion thing, you know, like, I don't know, but, uh, well, but, I, coming from Jacksonville, I had to, I had to be on the Limp Bizkit train and they were like oh, my I, biggest absolutely. band at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, West Borland came up with some sick riffs, you know, no denying. I, I think as a, ba- as a band, their music, musically, they are just great, great you know, yeah. but it's, it's lost. 
a lot of that's lost on the, the lyrics and Fred and all that, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, is what it what is. What can you do? What can you do, yeah. It's funny. Well, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, as you, you mentioned us opening up for BT Bam, but it's funny because uh, BT Bam actually opened up for Swift when they were in the studio recording the first record. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a show at Ziggy's, and the band, some band dropped off the bill, and BT Bam was there. I was like, you guys want to play a show tonight or whatever? And they opened up for us. That's hilarious. I mean, that's back at the original you know, with Will Goodyear on drums and, uh, you know, uh, it was just their original lineup, uh, Nick and, uh, silent circus days. That was even before that. Yeah. This was their very first mm-hmm. record. So it was, uh, but yeah, so, you know, BT Bam didn't have the fans at that point, you know, they were a brand new band, but it's just, it's funny how that would be flipped now. You know, it's like, uh, uh you know, how things have changed. Uh, like we were the marketable band then now BT, BT Bam are the marketable band, you know, so yeah, it's uh, it's just crazy how things happen. Well, it has been a great time. Uh, this is actually a lot longer than I had originally anticipated. Sorry, no, no, no. It's all good. It's more my fault because I had a long list of things to ask you. Because again, uh, you know, I've known who you are, and I've we spoke when I was a child too. You know, so it's Absolutely. not like yeah, it's like uh, reconnecting. But, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's been cool, and I, again, I want to thank you for sending me those CDs. That, that's beyond cool. Um, that was a big surprise, and it was very kind of you, so I appreciate that very much. Uh, thank you for having me on the show and all you've done for the the music uh, scene all these years, man. You've, you've been a major player, man. That's a, you know. Well, I appreciate that. We all, we I, all owe you a, great, a debt of gratitude for that. I mean, even people who don't know what you did, you know, with you know the HRN and all that stuff, you know, it's like... Uh, you know, that's a, that was a big deal, you know, or, you know. Yeah, I was just a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid just at my mom's house, freaking my parents out, getting these packages every day in the mail of CDs and all that shit. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can imagine that could be overwhelming, you know. Yeah, they're like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I just have a website and I run a, labels. I run an international web business. <laughs> yeah. But again, I appreciate it, Jamie. Um, I definitely wouldn't mind coming up there and, you know, doing some kind of behind the scenes stuff with you. Um, and then definitely, you know, if you're recording uh, somebody of of our genre that we can, you know, handle yeah, uh, or cover, that'd be dope. But, um, yeah, it sucks. I mean, there were so many other things that we could have talked about because you've worked with a plethora of people um, that, you know, someone who doesn't know who you are definitely has to take the time out to see whom you've worked with and like, you know, cause you are very influential as well in the whole metal and hardcore, not hardcore scene, but the metal scene for sure. And prog metal and everything like that. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, especially this much to sit down with us. Oh, damn, it's, it's an honor, man. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.